Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Shandolf Scott, here to Ooh. kill Take Kimbro, because <laughs> I just don't understand women like he does. <laughs> Tate Kimbro is a really fascinating Western villain, because he's completely a villain. He is a mm. bad guy, but he's not a bad guy for the reasons that the hero thinks. Yeah, he's... He's not this hero's bad guy. Yeah, I mean, well, he, he kind is. Of is. Yeah, no, he, he is. He completely is. It's just, uh, he's not at all the guy he thinks he is. Like, they've never met, which is sort mm-hmm. of an interesting background to this vengeance thing. So, yeah, yeah. Our, our first film, Decision at Sundown, uh, second in the Bud Bedeker box set. Uh, we're covering it from... The Powerhouse Indicator, Five Tall Tales. It's also just come out from Criterion as the renowned Westerns, same five films. I like the Tall T. This one is really good. Uh, it seems like it's going to be a lot more of a standard Western story, but it uh, it throws a few curveballs at you. Yeah, I would say it's a much more complex Western, uh, especially emotionally and just in terms of all the social dynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the it's it's sort of a rough frontier justice which is what most westerns are but it's also about this misguided vengeance that's still ultimately justified it just for completely different reasons yeah um i don't know how justified bart allison our, our guy played by randolph scott i don't know how justified he is to go on this vengeance quest well if he had actually, I mean, we're we're getting ahead of it, but if the ending had gone a different way, I would say he's not really justified. But the way things pan out, I mean, he kind of saves this town where he wasn't intending to do anything of the sort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it worked out okay for everybody else. Yeah, I mean, he is a, like, it is one of these, it's an early take, because 57 is pretty early to get into revisionist westerns, but it's one where the the concept is, huh, maybe vengeance is hollow and unfulfilling, and uh, people are more complex than the villains that we make them out to be in our revenge fantasies. Mm-hmm. So our hero... And he's, it's probably the most compromised hero that Randolph Scott has been up to this point. Yeah, in the last one, in the Tall T, he was just, he was like just a straight up good old boy, can do no wrong. I don't think he had a flaw. No, I mean, he was, he was clearly outside of society and there was this sense that he uh, was sort of, unable to really communicate with much of the world that's sort of like why he's off by himself and he's very rigid but he also was someone who could have fun and laugh and was able to connect with the world up until you know everybody around him gets murdered yeah and he just becomes focused on uh that this guy he just it it seems like he's never had a a fun a fun day in his entire life (laughs) yeah 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 this this is not a fun this is not a fun character at all. Uh, Bart Allison. Bart. Uh, a classic Western name that uh, really has kind of just been completely taken over by Bart Simpson in the modern era. Mm-hmm. I almost made a 
I almost made a Bart Simpson joke, but I'm going to try not to. <laughs> I mean, it might have to come up. It's it's such a, a dominant name now, but like in in this day, Bart was like a classic Western name in a Christmas story. The the fantasy Western villain is Black Bart. <laughs> there was like a pirate, I think, named Black Bart too, or maybe an actual historical might be someone named Black Bart existed. Oh, somewhere somewhere so bart allison our guy uh, randolph scott's character uh we open with him on this racing stagecoach and for whatever reason he pulls a gun and it seems like he's gonna rob the thing yeah but <laughs> what is he what's he doing he just wants to get off the coach yeah it's weird he he gets off and he fires the gun and everybody's just waiting and he he waits for a second and just nothing's happening and he gets kind of nervous like uh uh because <laughs> obviously he has accomplices or mm-hmm. you know he's he's just he's actually waiting for Sam to show up but Sam's fallen asleep somewhere. <laughs> oh Sam, I love Sam. Oh Sam, poor Sam. Uh, such an unfortunate figure. Uh-huh. Uh, let me carry your burden, Mister Allison. <laughs> He, yeah, he is kind of a Samwise in a weird sort of way. It, it has a, a similar relationship dynamic between them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel like there also is, you could totally do a queer interpretation of this film where Sam is this guy who's just waiting for his chance. He's putting the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is, oh God, that makes it even more unfortunate because- it's- yeah, it makes it extremely tragic. And because he's just constantly like, can we just maybe go get lunch? We don't need to do this vengeance thing. This is so silly. <laughs> we, we've been doing this for three years. Let's just sit down and have lunch. We can we could go another day. Do we need yeah. to shoot up a wedding? Come on. <laughs> and he finally gets his lunch. It's like, I want all the bacon and eggs you oh, have. Yeah, he, he goes full Ron Burgundy. Or not Ron Burgundy, Ron whatever from that other yeah. show. Parks um, and Rec that guy yeah uh yeah bring me all the eggs and bacon you have i i just want so many eggs (laughs) but yeah he's shooting he loses confidence for a moment and then sam finally starts riding up and like oh shit okay he takes their gun it's like okay you guys just go on ahead it's it's weird that he made them wait i guess it's just to make sure that sam was actually going to show up to (laughs) to to, so he's not going to have to walk to town but it's yeah. weird it's like you could have just taken the stagecoach into town i, I feel like nobody's going to come after you nobody knows who you are yeah you are <laughs> he's a complete un, he is a stranger in this town yeah he's never he's never met tate kimbrough the, this guy's a stranger to him yeah and, and he's just he's just a stranger riding into town no one has reason to think he's gonna try anything until well until he tries something yeah i mean he just comes to the wedding without any uh, real fuss for a while mm-hmm. so uh sam shows up on his horse and uh he asks or bart asks him you sure it's him and he he does mention that it's okay it's this guy t- it's definitely tate kimbro there's not a lot of tate kimbros around and he's got the town in his fist and he's squeezing hard Oh, he is a bad guy. He must have, this must be revenge for a crime he committed in the past. Maybe a murder. 
Right. And Sam explicitly doesn't know what this is about. Already at this point, it's clear that Sam doesn't actually know why they're going after Tate Kimbrough. It's just that's what Bart's doing. And he's like, okay, I'll I'll track the guy down. We'll find him and we'll deal with him. He seems to be a bad guy. I do think it's weird that Sam doesn't know what this is about, considering he does know about Mary. Yeah, he's been with like he's clearly his best friend and has been with him for years pre-Mary, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just weird that he did he never puts two and two together here. Yeah, I mean, I guess he knew that he he knew about the affair because he mentions yeah. that he's aware of it, but at the same time it also was such a non-entity in that relationship that it clearly didn't strike him that it mattered. I guess. Which really shows how misguided Bart's vengeance really is. Yeah, yeah. Or I guess it could, I was just thought of this now, it could also be that he didn't know who the affair was with until until this all happened. Maybe. I, I feel like he mentions later that he's like, I mean, he was just the last in a series. There, There's a bunch. Oh, right. So, so Sam, this is where he just keeps going on like, you know, there's a pretty good restaurant in town. We could go get some lunch maybe. And Bird's like, no, no, no. <laughs> and they get to town like, well, what's going on? It's just a wedding in town? It's like, yeah, it's Tate's wedding day. It's like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> a big day in his life i want to ruin it (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) so their their first stop is the barber shop where both both of the characters that they meet in the barber shop are key and interesting characters because the barber is very funny later (laughs) on i love the barber (laughs) otis or uh, uh, the barber does he have a name mr i don't think he does oh mr baldwin the barber uh, played by Vaughn Taylor, who who's more of a comedic actor. Uh, oh yeah. Although he's in Psycho. Oh. A couple okay. of years later, uh, he he's a fairly significant character in that one. Uh, but yeah, him and uh, the uh, Mister Summerton, uh, the father of the girl that Tate's marrying. Yeah, Charles Summerton, who. Man, this guy, he is just holding in his self-loathing for 80% of the film. And then he just like, <laughs> he has like one conversation with the hero. And he's like, well, I guess I'll just go fuck myself. Then. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God. That is exactly how yeah. it goes. <laughs> so good. Uh, <laughs> he, he's, he's a worm. He really is. And he's he's aware of it all the time. Like he's yeah. so aware of what a worm he is and it's eating away at him every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those are the people who are in the barber shop. Uh, he's just finishing off given uh, uh, the, the father of the bride, a trim. Although we don't know he's the father of the bride quite yet. Sam does. Yeah. <laughs> Sam's just holding it in. Cause you know, he's letting, he's letting Bart kind of run things and like, all right, let him you know do his grandstanding this is his vengeance trip i don't know what this is about but i'm gonna support my friend (laughs) and you know i'm more likely to get dinner if i go along with him than i would if i argue with him yeah the the sooner we get this done with we can go get food it's the dinner thing that makes me think of him as a hobbit 
Yeah, yeah. It's like a little second breakfast, though. Are you kidding me? We're gonna go get vengeance for them. And Bart keeps saying, like, you don't need to come with me. I can handle this myself. Go get lunch. It's like, well, I want you to come with me, though. <laughs> I want to go for a lunch date. Yeah. So the barber won't give him a shave. He's like, no, I'm closing up right now. It's like, well, there's a wedding in 15 minutes. You wouldn't want me to go to this wedding unshaven. Wait, well, I, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> the, the barber is someone who just, he does not give a shit about anybody or anything, <laughs> especially once he gets drunk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's just like, man, not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Like, are, are you kidding me? Like, well, you know, do you mind if I use your mirror and shave myself? knock yourself out man so he starts <laughs> pontificating about how bart allison's a bunch of garbage because they is like huh so is your, your friends at bart and like we never said that <laughs> <laughs> matter of fact that guy's a piece of shit and uh the the father of the brides finally coming out like well i never and he's going like hey yeah sam mentions to bart like by the way this is the father of the bride just so you know <laughs> Oh, it's like, well, you know, that guy sucks. You're marrying your, your daughter to a piece of garbage. It's like, oh, great, great. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I never, how, 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 how dare you talk about m- m- Mr. Kimbrough like that? Cause it's like, uh, Bart says a lady like that is making a mistake. Marrying someone as rotten as Tate Kimbrough. And so much is like, nah, well, I know that, but shut up okay <laughs> just trying to get through this day <laughs> it'll be good for the families or something yeah and it sounds like oh yeah that's a shame and summerton goes and the doctor we, we meet doc i like doc quite a bit. i like doc too he's he's one of the good ones uh john archer you know kind of a classic square jawed leading man kind of dude uh he was the voice of lamont cranston the shadow uh in oh. radio back in the day oh dang okay in, cool in the 40s uh, orson wells orson wells was the guy who played him previous him oh, which is kind of nice. cool uh and just you know one of these dudes who's in tons and tons of movies in this era uh i'm trying to think if there's anything you might know this is like late in his career relatively Okay. I then I probably don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm looking through the list and there's stuff I know but nothing you'd be familiar with. Mostly kind of just obscure noirs. Uh King of the Zombies. Oh. <laughs> From 1941, which oh yeah, I've seen this movie. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> anyway, Doc uh, shows up to uh, talk to Lucy. So Lucy is the bride and Ruby is the side piece, right? Yeah. So like Summerton runs into Doc and he asks how Lucy's doing, I think. And Summerton's like, because he, I, I think he's... The doctor is sweet on Lucy. I don't really know why Lucy Lucy is into 
Tate, because Tate doesn't honestly seem to be all that into her, and Tate is dating Ruby. Ruby is friends with the doctor. <laughs> let's get our <laughs> let's get uh what's his name? Huh. The Yakuza guy with yeah. the chart. Oh, we need him. Like this is one of the most complicated in that regard. It really feels like a true small town. It Just does. everybody is so involved in everybody else's business. Yeah, we have like another enemy gang of Tate Kimbrose shows up for the wedding. It's like, yeah, we're an enemy gang of his too. Right. And so the the doctor uh oh right, no, it's he's he's scowling at Ruby because she's up in the window where Tate is. Like she's yeah. in she's up in like the main window that the whole town uh sort of is built around the casino or whatever it is. I guess yeah. it's the bar. The bar. Where everybody's getting the free drinks today. Yeah, Tate uh sleeping with Ruby is an open secret. Everybody knows about it. Yeah, including Lucy. Oh, especially Lucy. Yeah, they it's, talk it's, about it. It's an understanding between them. Uh, yeah. So the the Sundown Hotel is sort of the 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 main building that everyone's in. Ruby is down. Ruby's up in the top window, looking down on everything, and it's obvious that she's with Tate. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> the, like it, it cuts up to them, and we reveal very quickly. That he's like, oh well, you know, it's different between you and me, Ruby. <laughs> there's, there's a you reason I'm that burying her and not you. Yeah, she's got more money. <laughs> <laughs> she's got influence. You, you know, I like you a lot, but you know, it's it's not sustainable. You're gonna have to leave town, by the way. Oh, so our relationship is over? Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> it's so weird because she's like. You know I love you, and you love me. You're yeah, and she says you're marrying Lucy. No, no I, I think he says that he's marrying Lucy because he loves her, but it's like <laughs> he doesn't do anything <laughs> lovey with Lucy ever at any point. Yeah, I I don't really like. The relationship with Lucy is really mysterious because we only see it on this one day where it is extremely tested. And there, yeah. there doesn't seem to be a relationship there. I mean, Lucy seems to be really into him, and I don't know why, because he does seem to just be scum. But it's also a matter of, I guess he's just, uh, all the ladies want him. Well, he's, I described him in the chat as like an evil Gomez Adams he does have a lot of Gomez Adams energy, but I can used for my... bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. He's because Gomez but... is a sweetheart. Oh, totally. Yeah, no. Uh, this guy's a charmer too. He does have charm, but yeah, he is a complete scumbag about it. Uh huh. So Ruby has agreed she will leave town tonight, but she says, "Okay, but I'm going to attend the wedding." He's like, "No, no, I don't want you to." And he's like, "Well, look." I have to go to this thing. You don't understand. Not just socially, that it would be incredibly awkward for me to be the only person in town who's not there. Everybody knows about this. Yeah. But I kind of just personally need to see you married to someone else so I can just get over you because you're such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. These two actually seem to love each other. Yeah. Ish. They haven't, like, between the two of them, there is an obvious relationship, and it's weird that 
she's the one who he's always spending time with anytime there's downtime in this movie. There's a bunch of times where there's just a break and he's just back here with Ruby and a bunch of other people and they're hanging out and she's like giving him important advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, see, she's like his consigliere. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, he's not married just yet. There's still like a few more minutes that, that Ruby can stay in town. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> a few more minutes they can be together. Right. So Bart and Sam go to the stable where they meet Doc, who and Doc is like, I'm not attending the wedding on principle. So he's clearly already an ally. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, this is that thing where uh, Doc says, some people around here think we don't need any more of Tate's friends. <laughs> and it's weird. They don't explain to him in any way they don't suggest that they're not his friends and get him on their side uh, which is uh, weird because they suggest they do it right away with the other two guys yeah uh he he says to doc uh, bart says to doc we ain't interested in what some folks around here figure <laughs> i mean you don't like that guy. So this is a dude who's literally saying, I'm not going to show up to that guy's wedding because he stinks. <laughs> like, this this dude's on your side. <laughs> yeah, like, I would have to repress the urge to be like, yeah, I think he sucks too. You should hear why yeah. I'm here. Right. So they go to the Sundown Hotel, the bar, and all <laughs> drinks are on Tate Kimbrough. There's a big sign up. Yep. <laughs> oh, but people are looking at him. They don't take too kindly to him. Well, because the barber has been talking about them before they've gotten here. Like mm. he's like, oh, there's a couple guys. They don't. They don't seem to take too kindly to Tate Kimbrough. And they show up and they're like, we're gonna pay for the drink. Uh, just I, I don't. I, I don't like some guy paying for my drink that I uh, that I didn't ask to. I'm gonna pay for my own drink it's a huge thing that the sheriff has to get involved well has to the sheriff does get involved this is the one point where the sheriff is i I wouldn't call it doing his job i mean it's sort of his job in that he is hired by tate kimbrough yeah but so intimidating people who are against tate kimbrough is technically his job not as a sheriff but as uh an employee of Tate. Yeah, he, he's a glorified thug. Yeah, he certainly never does any sheriff work in this movie. That's not a thing he's here to do. No. But he's the sheriff, and he basically starts a fight with them. He gets in their face about wanting to pay for their <laughs> own drinks. Uh, and they do a whole thing where he dumps their coins in the spittoon. And uh, I, I do like... Bart doing like this long take. He's like, I don't know. Fish those out of there for me, won't you? <laughs> like with a good grin <laughs> on his face. Yeah. And of, and of course, like everybody else in the salute is just dead silent, as they always are when this happens. Well, so so first I guess this Swede does a thing. He's like, no, no. Uh, the take Kimbrough will pay for your drinks. And he pours a couple and he has one. And he says, like, uh, toast to the good health of Mr. and Mrs. Tate Kimbrough. And Bart drops his shot into the spittoon. And then the coins go in and then just. 
And there, like, there's a good long moment where everybody's looking at each other, and Ruby comes down the stairs and passes through, and everyone just waits <laughs> <laughs> because they all know what she's doing up there. <laughs> yeah, like these things are related. Uh, <laughs> let's pause for a moment. And yeah, he, he with a big smile on his face, Sheriff. I'd appreciate if you'd get my money out of there, wipe it off, and put it back on the bar. <laughs> <laughs> And this Swede drops his own shot in and it's like staying in sundown will be a big mistake for you, fella. <laughs> real, uh, real intimidating line there. Yeah. Uh, Randolph Scott has not stopped smiling yet. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're really scary guy. Uh, <laughs> and, and everyone sort of filters out except, uh, a couple people in there. There's basically just the bartender, Otis. He pours them a new shot. It's like, well, you paid for your drinks. So he, he's happy. He's like, he doesn't <laughs> like Tate. <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> There's like two people in this, three people in this whole town who actually like him. Arguably like him. Yeah. Do they like him? Maybe uh, Reverend Zeron. Oh, maybe. Actually, yeah, it, you know, it does feel like the Reverend is maybe really... his only only compatriot. Yeah. And it, it's just because he's too stupid to do anything else. I don't know how he ended up being a Reverend. He just seems like a drunken fuck-up who is just under Tate's wing. I, I kind of get the impression that he somehow became the Reverend, like, by default. Yeah, yeah. And he's not, like, the main religion in town either because they they mentioned somewhere else is like oh, you're, you're getting that justice of the peace instead of yada yada oh right like, yeah. yeah i guess so <laughs> that's that's tate's guy yeah so doc comes in and he's like you know what i'm gonna pay for my own drink too it's <laughs> like why don't you guys tell me you you were on on my side that's great <laughs> And Ruby comes up and uh, Ruby's outside and he, or she, uh, a doc goes with her. She's like, I need someone to come with me to the wedding. This is fucking embarrassing. It's like, all right, all right. I wasn't going to go, but I'll go to help you out. Mm -hmm. And I like that you know, his one stipulation is like, can you do me one kindness, babe? Don't sit in the front pew. And she's the first one to arrive, and she walks straight up and sits right in the middle of the front pew. <laughs> yeah, like, <or> yeah. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> so next people to show up, Morley Chase and the Seacross Boys. I really like Morley Chase. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he hates Tate Kimbro too, just like everybody else. And it of seems course. like he's seems like he's like a rival gang or something they're uh like they're obviously like the biggest ranch in the area oh, and they hate of course. Him. right they, they just don't like this guy he's taken over the town he seems like an asshole uh and yeah uh he's played by ray teal who's just a classic western dude uh he was the sheriff on the tv series bonanza oh. for years and years like longest running western tv show i think or one of them i did feel like i've seen this guy before he is like a western guy he's in mm. so much stuff over the years like all the way back to the 30s oh nice nice uh let me see i'm trying to see. there's the the credits are insane there's lots of stuff i've seen him in 
but nothing that is sticking out as something that is like really famous other than of course bonanza at first i honestly thought like that's not burt reynolds is it then i realized i'm <laughs> Much about what young. two decades too early yeah three decades maybe uh well like no i mean early 70s is when you get a lot of burt reynolds and, and this guy is older than burt reynolds was in the early 70s well yeah yeah absolutely uh yeah so this guy ray teal morley chase he and the Seacross boys show up, and it's immediately evident they are rivals to Tate Kimbrough. People are like, hey, didn't think you guys would show up. I'm like, free wedding. It's the big social event of the season. I figured I should see what's going on. <laughs> Here for the free drinks. Yeah, it's funny. You you very quickly get the impression like everybody in town hates this guy, even though he's the leading citizen and the whole town is sort of based around his wedding today. Everybody thinks he sucks everybody <laughs> so bart leaves sam outside the wedding uh <laughs> and I, I feel bad for sam sam is kind of excited to go to the wedding he's like i ain't never been to a wedding not <laughs> I, yeah i guess they might not have been that that common back then who knows because he says i never been to a wedding not even yours and it's like oh right oh yeah, right that's, yeah that's... and and bart kind of gives him a scowl and it's like I'll go alone. Why don't you go get that lunch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, lunch, wedding, lunch, wedding, <laughs> lunch. I, yeah. Although he doesn't end up getting yeah. lunch because he's still hungry. I guess he's just kind of hanging around outside, worried. Yeah, because who knows what this what this crazy Bart's gonna do? I truly, uh, <laughs> he he doesn't honestly seem mentally well. Yeah, I love the bit where he stands in the back. And uh, the the justice of the peace makes Swede take off his gun at the front. Yes. You, know, you can't have that gun on during the service. And then it cuts to him at the back with his gun on. And some guy standing next to him is like, your gun. And he smells like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes no motion towards it. Just like, mm, yes, thank you. He's like, yeah, well, that is my gun. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> uh so uh justice of the peace uh zeron uh <laughs> uh he he starts the ceremony and he he does you know the standard if anybody in this uh place knows why these two dear people should not be married and then he immediately goes if so and he he sort of goes immediately on into the next thing before but yeah. says hold it because <laughs> of course of course he's gonna say do that yeah it's it's the perfect time i mean if you were here to get vengeance for your wife i mean he obviously doesn't have all the facts right. uh, ultimately he, he uh, is not really as impressive to tate as he thinks he is <laughs> tate definitely is like really i didn't have anything to do with that man <laughs> <laughs> So he says, ah, you remember a Sabine Pass and a girl named Mary? And Tate's like, I've never heard of uh I've never heard of the place. Sabine Pass? Nah. Which is a lie. He yeah. he obviously was there. Right, yeah. And Bart tells Lucy, if you marry Tate, you'll be a widow by sundown. 
which freaks her the fuck out. She's pissed off about this line the whole movie. She yeah. does not let go of it the, the rest of the film until she decides to not marry Tate, which takes a while. Yeah, yeah, but she's like, she like she takes this line to heart. Oh, yeah, it, it definitely haunts her for, I mean, one of the things is this movie takes place just in one day, which is really unusual for a Western. Very, yeah. like, almost a Dogma 95 uh, unity of place and time. Oh, man, I haven't seen that in so long. Uh, not, not Dogma, but Dogma 95 is a, a, a film movement launched at Cannes with a bunch of, I think, mostly Danish filmmakers, uh, Lars von Trier. And uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I was thinking, like, didn't Dogma Unity of come time out in 98? <laughs> yeah, no, Dogma 95, uh, D O G M E. Oh. It's a film manifesto where, you know, I, I have a Dogma 95 film on the stacks right now, The Celebration. Oh, cool. Uh, anyway, so he he throws some money to Zeron. He's like, well, I figure I cheated you out of the wedding, so here's some money for Tate's funeral. Oh. <laughs> and then he, he just fucking runs out the door shooting. <laughs> <laughs> The sheriff like <laughs> runs to grab his gun. Yeah. Uh so he and Sam hop on a wagon. They do a very brief wagon chase and they hole up in the livery stable. Uh where they spend probably about half the movie. Yeah. Big chunk of the movie is just them holed up in this little space and the whole town deciding what to do about them. Cause no one's really willing to go in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so first thing that happens is lucy just abandons the wedding they're like well we can just go on with it they're they're gonna be in the stable they're holed up there we can just move on like yeah yeah fine and then they're like where's lucy she rides off on a wagon as well <laughs> <laughs> just her in her wedding dress uh leading the wagon it was pretty funny yeah tate's like i order you to get her back <laughs> lucy's yeah. father yeah mr summerton retrieve her i need her back here by noon uh you can do that right <laughs> he's like uh, uh yes sir yes <laughs> it's like good good everything will work itself out i don't need to worry about this swede you have one hour to take care of mr allison <laughs> so swede's first venture is he gets three guys uh led by ricky spanish i think so I, I love the naming scheme. He's Swede. Uh, they're Spanish. We yeah. don't learn the other two guys' names, but I've decided that their names are French and Belgian. I mean, yeah, it's just these guys are thugs, and each of them has just a, a, a nationality, and that's it. <laughs> like like a Batman thug naming scheme. Yeah. So, like, two, two of his guys get up into the window of... Uh, on the second floor across from the livery stable and they shoot at the, at the window and stuff to like provide cover fire and Spanish busts into the place. And Sam gets him in the arm with a bailing hook. Looks really painful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and doc immediately just like comes in the door and is like, uh, all right, I'm going to, I left my bag in here and I'm going to come and patch things up. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take Spanish out of here. <laughs> it's a stupid thing to do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that I, I love they just let the doctor do his thing. 
Yeah, and they're like, all right, all right. We we have no beef with this guy personally. <laughs> He's just an yeah. idiot. Yeah, we they even say to him, I was like, dude, this has nothing to do with you. Stop being a thug on this mission. Yeah, what are you wasting your time for? It take Kimbro sucks. Just let us deal with him. It's like that guy's my boss. He pays me. <laughs> Where am I going to get money from? Like if if Tate Kimbrough goes down, these three guys are out of a job, <laughs> or four guys, Swede and his three henchmen. So Doc, he he starts to give some backstory and like I hate Tate Kimbrough. He's ruined this town, and he, the Doc finally mentions that this is about Mary and the wife, and we see Sam go, "Ooh, shit, <laughs> that's no good. Oh no." <laughs> if I had known that that's what this was. Uh... He doesn't say that for quite some time. We just see him stewing about it. It's like, oh no, this is about Mary? Why is this about Mary? <laughs> yeah, and at this point, that's when I was like, why didn't he figure out that this was about Mary? Because I still thought this was about uh, Tate having killed Mary. Right. But it's it's more complicated than that. <laughs> it is. So Lucy's father goes to see her, tries to convince her to come back, and she's not sure. Like you said, the widow by sundown thing. The word sundown really recurs a lot in this movie, not just mm -hmm. as the name of the town, as a time, as a deadline. And yeah. she's like, I don't know. I, I feel weird about that. And, you know, there's a lot of weird things about Tate. Honestly, now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might be seeing someone else. <laughs> I was like, uh, well, you see. Uh, yeah, well, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, he is. So back at the bar, Tate starts yelling at Swede. Like, well, you're too scared to storm the stable? And I was like, man, you pay me for my work, not for my life. You can't pay me enough to go in there and get killed by these guys. Come on. Well, uh, do it. <laughs> well uh, the, the dad shows up because this is when they're up in the, the the loft above the bar and ruby's there and they're all like holding court and like all right let's make a plan on how to deal with this thing oh yeah and the dad shows <laughs> up and like is taken he, aback by ruby right there in the room like he gives right. her such an ugly look and like oh it's she's here huh <laughs> <laughs> and she's still part of this is she so Tate has a plan. He's like, okay, why don't you go down there? He's like, you want me to to get rid of the scary gunman? Me, the father of the bride? He's like, no, no, just offer them safe passage. They can leave town. And I'll tell Swede to hold his fire. You wouldn't want me to go down there. They'd just kill me. That's what they're here for. And obviously <laughs> if Swede did it, they'd shoot at him because he's a very scary guy. <laughs> <laughs> so summerton goes down there and is like all right i you're free to just leave the town this is stupid you're completely surrounded you know this is just not going to work out and i'll give you 500 bucks i'll make it worth your while and both of them are like man i mean your daughter seems pretty nice and pretty and talented <laughs> don't know why you'd need to buy her a husband and he's like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah they don't even acknowledge his offer they're just like wow man, you must be a real dog shit of a father 
yeah they, they don't say yes or no it's like when trying to buy a husband for that that girl i mean she seems like she doesn't have any problems that would require such a thing he's like man this sucks <laughs> he, he doesn't respond to them either he says nothing he just turns around and he's like like i said like guess i'll go fuck myself then. <laughs> just stomping away so angry because he has no retort he knows he's been owned by these people who've known him for 10 seconds fucking killer burn <laughs> <laughs> And so Sam, as he's leaving, like Tate's yelling at him through the window, like, yeah. go like, back there. <laughs> like, do your freaking job, man. Yeah, he's he's in the, the window uh, yelling at him. He's like, why are you leaving? What? <laughs> so Sam is like, man, I'm still hungry. We're supposed to be able to go. Hey, Swede, you say I can leave and you're not going to shoot me? I'm like, all right. And uh, I, they haven't started arguing yet. He's like, he's he's thinking about it. And we go yeah. back to the hotel and everyone's drinking and they're making fun of Swede for not going after him. And not, just like, yeah, Swede, real sheriff, doing a lot of good here. <laughs> the barber has begun his bender. And uh, Tate goes to Mary. It's like, come on, you 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 can still marry me what's going on and she's like well tell me about mary and bart what's going on with this shit and he's like ah he just doesn't understand women the way i do <laughs> which honestly maybe the funny i think that's thing... true yeah <laughs> i mean i don't think that's only the problem but i think that's a big part of bart's problem he didn't really get his wife ever yeah yeah uh yeah like i thought this was just him being flippant about uh about bart's reasons but it, it basically yeah as things later down, shake out i think yeah. that's a big part of the problem is he just yeah. doesn't understand women he didn't understand his wife and i mean it does kind of seem like maybe mary wasn't shit <laughs> it yeah. seems like she was uh the the lady version of a scrub uh she just obviously was like as sam later says you never had a wife mm-hmm. or no i think it's doc who says that ice cold i thought it was <laughs> i thought it might i think it was oh ruby? you're right you're right it is ruby yeah uh at a really great climactic moment she's shrieking it at him it's pretty excellent mm-hmm. anyway she refuses it's like i i don't know I, I don't I don't know what's going on here. I'm gonna go get the story from them, and she goes to see Bart and <laughs> Sam. It's funny, like both of them. It's like the father of the bride shows up. Man, that's like the second to last person I expect to show up after Tate, and then the bride shows up. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Who are they gonna send next to get a, go after us? The barber. Yeah. Uh, and bart like spanks her and throws her out because she suggests like you know maybe your wife wasn't all that great after all and it's like fuck you get out of here lady (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, to be fair she right or wrong she picked a bad time to be saying that shit she picked a bad time and she phrased it really badly because she yeah. completely went on the offense and is like, well, maybe your wife was a slut and you don't know it. And he's and- like, get the hell out of here. Are you kidding me? And mm. sounds like, look, you don't understand. That lady was right. Mary really wasn't 
all that all that she was cracked up to be you don't understand tate wasn't the first guy you know this and, and uh <laughs> he, he punches him in the face yeah he, every time sam tries to tell him how it is from now on he's basically just gonna come Put his hands over his ears and go, la, 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 la. Yeah, he is completely unwilling to listen, uh, which is his biggest flaw. Uh, he is a hero with a major character flaw, and that's what it is. He won't listen to reason. He's too rigid. Yep. Uh, not listening, I, I suspect, is probably how him and his wife got into that situation in the first place. You would have to figure, because this seems like the... The Sam and Bart relationship does feel kind of similar to a marital relationship. Obviously, they've been apart for a while, but they're dynamic. They have kind of the relationship of people who've just been spending all of their time together for years. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the way that he responds to any kind of small crack in what Mary might be, maybe he was doing that with Mary, too. I would have to assume that he was. Yeah, uh, I... We'll we'll get to it, but uh, I I do think so. Yeah. So Sam leaves his gun behind. It's like fine. I'll I'll go get lunch. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll be back. I'm coming back here after I have lunch. Uh, you just I love sit that tight. These, I love that he's like barricaded himself, but all the friendly people can just go in and out as much as they want. Yeah. People show up and they like hold court with them for a bit. It's like yeah yeah no. And it's like. Uh, maybe your wife isn't shit. I'm like, get out of here. I thought you were my friend. Screw you. <laughs> so he goes to the restaurant and Doc comes and meets him and they have a conversation and uh, he orders all the eggs. <laughs> uh, the waitress is just so happy to see him. Yeah. And or he's, he's also, happy to see her. It's it's a lot of both. They're like, oh, this is great. There, there isn't like a gunman or anything. This guy seems actually pretty chill. <laughs> so Doc is like, don't trust Swede. You know, he will shoot you in the back. Just just so you know, that's going to happen later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. And he's like, so tell me about Mary. Give me some give me some backstory on what the hell's going on in this town today. Well, there's something about Mary. Yeah, so he's like, uh, he didn't, uh, uh, Tate didn't kill her. She killed herself. She was, uh, had been sleeping with him, but he was the last in a long line of guys. There had been a whole bunch of them. It really had very little to do with Tate Kimbrough. I think he describes it like, I guess she, he was the last guy he, she took a hankering for. Mm -hmm. the, the fact that she killed herself leads me to believe that maybe Bart was a really shitty husband. Well, I don't know because she killed herself before he even came back. Like oh, he's right. just gone. And right. Cause uh, he did the war. Yeah. He was away during whatever war, I guess the revolutionary war. What, what, I don't know what year civil this is supposed to be. War, maybe, maybe civil it's, war. It's, yeah, uh, I actually, yeah, I don't know. It's not really clear what time this is supposed to be, but civil war. Oh, was right. Yeah. Time. Cause they had all those like, mexico border wars too there was all exactly. that yeah, yeah i forgot so, about that and he is a texan so it's very likely that he's involved in some sort of border war but i don't know he was off yeah. to the war the wife killed herself and he blamed it on tate but sam has always been of the opinion like it really wasn't about tate it just 
you know, it, it was a thing that was going to happen. She was just always heading down that path. And finally, you know, he goes back out and Spanish shoots him. Yeah. Uh, but Bart immediately shoots Spanish. So, you know, the, that that happens pretty fast. He, he, Sam is shot in the back. Bart shoots Spanish like in the head. He's fucking dead yeah. instantly. Yeah. Yeah. And Doc runs to the dying Sam and his dying words are tell Bart Mary was no good. <laughs> <laughs> what those are your dying words? Just straight up. She was no good. Your wife was shit. Okay. You need to get over it. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of great. The entire town immediately turns against Tate. Cause Sam was this really likable dude. <laughs> it was like, Hey, fuck you. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He just wanted lunch. The town wanted to give him lunch, but just never worked out. Yeah, and the the drunk barber is the only one still drinking, and he just starts calling people out. Because everybody else has stopped drinking because they're all pretty upset about the you know shooting of an unarmed man in their town. Yeah. So he's too drunk to really get concerned about that, so he just starts calling people out because nobody will drink with him. <laughs> <laughs> And he he calls out Zoran or Zeron Zeron. Oh, I don't remember Zoran. One of those. I think, it's, I think it's Zeron. And he, it's like, well, why won't you drink with me, you, you asshole? I know you drink. The guy's pretending. He's like, no, no, I, I don't ever. And he like uh, punches his front pocket and it shatters with whiskey because he's got like a hidden flask there that everybody knows about. And it's like. You know, that wasn't that wasn't cool. Everybody knows that the Reverend drinks, but you didn't need to humiliate him or anything. It's like, I kind of feel like I did. That's kind of <laughs> what I'm doing today. It's a day for humiliating assholes and hypocrites in this town. <laughs> yeah. Um, isn't it Doc who says to him, was like, or maybe this is later when he says, why is the Reverend the only one who has to face up to who he really is? Yeah, that's immediately where he goes. He's oh, okay. like, everyone in this town's a fucking hypocrite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, nobody's done anything against Tate, and we've allowed this thing to happen. It's our fault that this innocent man has been killed. We're all complicit. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and he's fucking right. And yep. everybody's like, yeah, I guess that's right. And Summerton uh, comes by, and he's like, no, no, you're right. Yeah, no. Uh, I've lost a lot of things here. And you know, in fact, you know what I've lost most of is my fucking self-respect. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, shit. I mean, I guess this wedding's off, right? <laughs> and they've like yes. taken down the, the sign. Like he's probably not buying drinks anymore because we all hate him, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Morley, uh, who's... You know, he has always been the most staunchly anti-Tate person that everybody knows is anti-Tate. Yeah. So he's like, well, you know what? Maybe we even the odds. I think things are unfair here. And uh, we know our Swede just, uh, he, he only likes an unfair situation where he can uh, bully someone. And Maybe let's just go uh, back up Bart Allison and uh, make sure that nobody, uh, n no other person no other innocent person uh, goes down in this town. I love when they're all going out. Swede just kind of lets them because he just assumes they're backing him up. I don't know if he assumes that. I think it's just they're a bunch of dudes who have guns and he obviously isn't oh. going to be able to stop them. <laughs> right, because he's like the worst, the worst fake sheriff ever. 
because they just immediately go, they disarm all of his guys, and then they <laughs> go to Swede, and he's like, all right, we've taken all of your guys' guns, now you are going to go out and do this duel and get this <laughs> thing fucking done with. <laughs> I love my one of my favorite shots in the whole film is right after they leave him alone and he's like just loading his gun. He looks so tiny in the frame. Mm-hmm. It's a great <laughs> shot. Just I I love this whole duel. It really shows him dwarfed by the buildings around him in every shot. Mm-hmm. Like the the key shot where you see sort of the Bart POV of him where he's just got that sort of weird square of houses in the back of him. Uh, it, it it's they're, they're sort of the only moments where it feels like the town is really built up. Yeah, actually. Um, like that shot I was thinking is like, did they make the town bigger? <laughs> yeah, it just it feels just to make him feel small. He's just dwarfed <laughs> by everything around him. It's pretty cool. Yeah, because uh, he's he's not a small guy. No, uh, Andrew Duggan. He's uh, I mean he's got a, just a huge broad face too. The perfect face for this kind of character. Uh, and again, just you know, one of these classic Western guys who is in tons and tons of stuff. Um, uh he later went on to be in a bunch of larry cohen films in the 70s Uh, larry cohen's just one of my favorite exploitation guys uh and he's in like his early black exploitation movies and then he's the mad doctor in the it's alive series okay which are pretty cool cool uh so yeah uh he obviously gets killed his uh uh bart Takes him out very easily because obviously he just never had the ability. No, to that's defend why... the town or anything. No, that's that's why he needs all these guys. He can't bully a town by himself. Yeah. Uh, so Bart does get wounded, not by Swede. He just like pivots when he's dodging, and he cuts his hand on a wagon wheel. Right, right. So he goes to the doctor's place, and doctor patches him up. And this is where everybody's like, you got to listen to reason about your wife. And uh, the doctor is trying to tell him, I think Lucy comes by and tries to tell him again. Yeah. He just won't. He won't hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, this is your friend's dying words. I don't care. La, 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 la. Yeah. The the only thing, like, there is the sort of touchy moment is like, listen, if I don't come back from this, will you take care of Sam's burial? It's like, yeah, man, I will. So Tate finally is like, all right, I guess I got to fight. I'm going to fight this thing out. He's like (laughs) strapping on his gun. And Ruby's like, come on, just walk away. Walk away with me. This, this town is over. You're, you're fucked here. This is all done. He's like, no, no, nothing's fucked. Nothing's fucked. I'm not owned. I'm not owned. (laughs) (laughs) As I shrink into a corn cob, you know, (laughs) Uh, and it's interesting. She's kind of a parallel to Sam. Uh, it's, it's, she is his Sam. It's like, mm-hmm. look at this, this vengeance shit. Let's just drop it. Let's just walk away. Let's go get lunch. Come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going to work out. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Your wedding's over too. Why don't you just hang out with me? I mean, we're obviously into each other. Yeah. Let's start a ranch somewhere. And she says straight out, you've lost this town. And he's yeah. like, no, no, no. 
Swede, Spanish, those guys are crap. They're easy to replace. There's dozens of them out there. Uh, I, I could just get another group of guys. We just put the town in my fist again. <laughs> and it's all going to work out. Don't worry about it. And just like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes down to the bar and he realizes, no, I think she's probably right. Because <laughs> everybody there's like, we hate you now. Just so you know, we all hate you. Because this is when the sign's down. He's like, why don't you put that sign back up? And like, we kind of figured the way things go and, uh, you know, he's like, put it back up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and they're all like, oh, no, we go on, go ahead, do your duel with this guy. It'll be awesome. Well, it's obvious that everyone wants him to die. Like mm. every single person there in that room wants him to go get himself killed immediately. And he's like, ah, oh, man, all these people want me dead. Cool. I guess I'll go to my death now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, seems I need to make a decision here at sundown. Right. So Lucy goes to the doctor's office again. And she's like, look, Bart. You have defeated Tate. This wedding is off. Uh, I guarantee the wedding's off. And yeah. obviously he's lost this whole town. You, you've, you, you've ruined him already. Just let him go. And, you know, it's, it's something like, no, honor, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but me, A man's man... got to do what a man's got to do. Me, angry man, must do big revenge. And, you know, Tate does one last shot at the bar, pours one for the bartender, and like, all right, I'm heading out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a great kind of fake out conclusion. It's something I've never really seen before. They the the two guys get into their duel, and then before they set up, Ruby shoots Tate. <laughs> <laughs> so she's the one who makes the decision at sundown. She shoots him in the shoulder to uh, wound him so he can't continue fighting. And, you know, we know that obviously uh, Bart is extremely honorable and is not going to shoot a guy who's wounded. Yeah. So. And she starts screaming. She starts screaming at Bart. You never had a wife. You were married, but never had a wife. (laughs) Yep. It's good shit. And he's. He is just broken by this. Yeah. Doc comes in like, you know, she's right. This is what Sam said. Sam said it with his dying words. You never had a wife. Okay. So, you know, I'm going to patch up TK before he leaves town because he's leaving town tonight. And TK's like, yeah, I'm leaving town tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I think I will give up my criminal empire and just go live in a farm somewhere. Like, yeah. And we, we see him and Ruby get in a wagon and leave town together with his arm in a sling. I was like, all right. She engineered her own happy ending you know, <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Like, like in, in a different focus of the movie, she could be the protagonist. And <laughs> yeah. like she's because she has a real arc. Things work out for her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he's probably not going to do this whole side piece thing anymore. <laughs> It feels so. like he's learned his lesson. Well, also, if if he if he's going to have a side piece, she has already shot him once. Yeah. 
<laughs> he, he he should know that she will do it again. <laughs> he's uh he he knows when he's learned when to hold him and when to fold yeah, him. He's a gambler. He's <laughs> he's got he's got that Kenny Rogers style. Yeah. And this is when he rocks away. Yeah, he's he's walking away. There's cards on the table. We're out. So this is just the great denouement. I, I really love just these final couple scenes where our hero is destroyed. Our yeah. hero lost, even though he he got his vengeance, he saved the town, and it ruined him. Uh, everything sucks. He's lost everything. Yeah, he, he has no friends left. He his, his friend is dead. He couldn't do a shooty boom boom bang bang. Uh, and he has to live with the fact now that yeah, his wife didn't love him the way he loved her. Yeah, it was it was all just kind of this false vengeance trip, and he lost his best friend to it, and he just has nothing left because the vengeance has been the only thing he's been living for for years. So he's just a shell of a man. And he's sitting there at the bar, and everybody's celebrating. Yeah. Um, Morley's like, oh, well, hell, I mean, Tate Kimbrough isn't buying drinks, but I'll buy drinks for everyone. This is great. <laughs> and he's like, hey, Bart, you know, we really appreciate you. You've done a real service to this town. And uh, won't you let me buy you a drink? And Bart just like freaks out. Yeah. Loses it. Yeah. But like a complete drunken freak out. I'm yeah. He's hammered now. He's just been. <laughs> yeah. He's been angrily drinking at the bar ever since things resolved. And because things didn't resolve for him, he didn't yeah. get his catharsis. Yeah. So he, he just like won't let him buy him a drink. And finally, he's like, you know, if you had remembered you were a man before my best friend was shot in the back, I'd be celebrating with you all the way to the bank. You know, if uh, my best friend had not been killed over this bullshit and we'd just run this guy out of town and uh, everyone was happy, I'd be celebrating here. But, well, that's not how shit worked out. And Maury's like, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I kind of see your point. Yeah, I, I appreciate him immediately backing down. It's like, oh, yeah, well, sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. So Bart just leaves town just a broken man and doc and lucy just kind of sit there watching him right i was like well like <laughs> i guess the town's better though <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah as he like drunkenly stumbles into the sunset yeah uh it's it's very different and th that is of course the end yeah. uh it's it's such a different flavor for a western uh especially a 50s one yeah i mean i i said in the group chat that as soon as I realized that the whole thing was all for nothing, that like about how Mary was no good, I was like, oh, man, I'm calling it now. Both of these people are dying. And it's wild. They both lose, but they yep. don't die. Like they have to kind of live with their loss, which is mm -hmm. even more of twisting the knife. It, it feels like <laughs> if both of them had just shot each other at the end, it would have been better off for both of them in a weird sort of way. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they both would have gotten the emotional catharsis that they needed in this in this version they don't uh and yeah that's a real interesting morally complex way to conclude a 50s western you mm -hmm. really see how this is the guy who or bud bedeker and you know the the people who are writing these ones they sort of generated the revisionist western which kind of wasn't quite a thing yet yeah it's uh yeah, this this was really good. I I wasn't expecting to like it more than the tall T because it 
started out seeming really stand like a like a really standard western plot but yeah i i love the twists yeah it, it really pulls the rug out on you it does some interesting things it's like the backlash thing that i was talking about way back with backlash being a noir western this really feels like a noir western everybody is in these shades of gray there are no heroes or villains yeah yeah i mean tate's kind of a villain but he's it not tate's a villain but... <laughs> he's not like a mustache twirling villain he's a guy who's trying to take over a town and we realize that he's still got the same human frailties as everybody else mm-hmm. uh, i'd say sam could be a hero though and True, doc. sam sam yeah doc is pretty great too uh, Sam, I, I don't think I mentioned Noah Beery Jr., uh, uh, the nephew of Wallace Beery. Uh, I'm not familiar. Uh, I mean, just really, he, he's sort of, uh, I, I guess you'd call him a Nepo baby in like the classic sense. His <laughs> his father, Noah Beery, was uh, a classic, I think, silent film actor. And uh, Wallace Beery was like a major actor of the era uh like have you ever seen barton fink the coen no, brothers but movie? i want to we should totally watch it sometime it's a masterpiece uh one of the things they keep trying to get him he's he's supposed to be in hollywood writing a script for a wrestling picture and the only guidance they'll give him is wallace berry wrestling picture writes itself <laughs> <laughs> always the first thing i think of when i see his name <laughs> Uh, but Noah Beery Jr., Sam, uh, he plays James Garner's dad on Rockford Files. He's oh. he's the father on the Rockford Files, which is a great, great 70s cop show. Or cool. private investigator show, I think. I don't know. I haven't seen it. It's like a detective thing. I haven't watched it recently, but I do have the series on below, and it's fun stuff. Uh, but yeah, that is the end of Decision at Sundown. Uh, just a really great thorny Western. This one is usually a little less respected than The Tall T, I think because the writer of this one doesn't have you know, the name recognition of Burt Kennedy, who wrote mm. the previous one. Uh, yeah, it was written I... by a guy called Harry Joe Brown, who I'm not really familiar with. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's better than The Tall T. Mm, Although the tall T was excellent. Absolutely. Yeah, they're they're both pretty great. So the next one in this set is Buchanan Rides Alone, which is another Randolph Scott one, of course. And uh, it is him again as a Texan. He's coming back, I think, from Border Wars in Mexico. And he's just like passing through town and he gets involved in this a whole <laughs> ridiculous drama you know kind of similar to this except he gets framed for murder coming oh. through <laughs> uh, oh, shit. Uh, there's just this feud going on and he punches someone out this drunk asshole and then uh someone else kills the guy who he punched after he you know was seen yelling and you know, punching him oh uh, kind of like how uh, Maurice in that French movie got set up for murder. Right. Uh, and this one, like the, the guy was a baddie. Uh, he's killed as revenge for like, I, I think he raped someone's sister. Okay. And you know, it's, it's this whole uh, feud of two clans and stuff. Uh, and it's just this, this one guy in the middle of it. So it's sort of a Yojimbo or 
uh, fistful of dollars style kind of thing. Okay. I have seen it before. It rips. It's really good. Uh, So there is either that or uh, the alternate, because, you know, as as always, uh, box set, we do a versus. Uh Uh-huh. we could instead do the final Randolph Scott film, Ride the High Country, which is from 1962, usually considered the beginning of the revisionist Western cycle. Uh, first okay. major Sam Peckinpah Western. Why don't why don't we go with that? Uh, we put that on the top of the stack and then come back to this box set a little bit later. Sounds good. Uh, Just that to one break is... it up a little bit. Yeah, and that one's uh, an absolutely fantastic movie, uh, extremely influential. It's him uh, as just an older, you know, he's he's at the end of his thing, and he hatches a plan to steal a little gold, because he's realized that just after years and years of doing this shit, he's just never gotten anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he's always played it by the book, and it's like, yeah, why not one last score, though? <laughs> <laughs> Get the gang together. One last job. It's it's a great one. It's like a late period Western. It's it's sort of the dying of the West when things are kind of starting to modernize. And oh. it, it's it's a, sort of a, a requiem for the West in a, in a way. Good show. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen a lot of movies in that part of the West. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Ride the High Country will be added to the stacks. So, do you have any last thoughts on Decision at Sundown before we head on to part two? Yeah, the decision. Do we want to get pierogies or poutine? Mm, Oh, wait. There's a a place in town where you could actually just get both. That's true. Pierogi poutine. (laughs) It's real good. Good stuff. All right, well, on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're doing a double feature of Buster Keaton films, Sherlock Jr. and The Navigator. Uh, Both fucking great. Uh, Sherlock Jr., a complete, perfect masterpiece. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Navigator, in my mind, suffers because I watched it immediately after watching Sherlock Jr. If I had watched them, if I had watched The Navigator first, I think I would have liked it a lot more. I mean, I still do. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, they're they're both great, uh, but I I would say that uh, Sherlock Junior is just so good. It's so perfect and streamlined. Like it's tight. It's forty four minutes, and just every second counts. Yeah, yeah. Like some of the jokes in the Navigator, I I felt like they kind of dragged on, and I feel like it had a little bit too much story where jokes weren't being told. Yeah. But everything in Sherlock is perfect. Well, I think part of it as well is Sherlock Jr. is the only one that is solely directed by Buster Keaton, whereas, of course, The Navigator is co-directed, uh, as are all of his other films co-directed right. by someone else, because they needed someone to kind of reel him in. And, <laughs> and you know, I guess it did work for the company, uh, MGM. Uh, I, can't, I don't know if it was even MGM yet. I think it might have just been MG, Metro Goldwyn. I don't think Mayer was around yet. But it's uh, it's co-directed by Donald Crisp. And 
I assume that kind of reeled him in. And then that one was the most successful movie he ever made. Like Navigator made bank. I It looks like, like on the surface, it looks like it's got, it, it's like so much bigger than uh, Sherlock Jr. Because right. we're on like this big boat. We're in the ocean. We have a cast of hundreds of uh, uh, racially insensitive <laughs> cannibals. Yeah, the, the cannibals are not the best part. Uh, but yeah, yeah. it's it's a pretty big one uh, uh as it says in the critical reception on the wikipedia page huge hit ran for a rare second week at the theater <laughs> they just didn't shit. do that in those days <laughs> meanwhile it's like dr strange playing on all 15 screens for six months uh it was his biggest hit it grossed six hundred and eighty thousand dollars on a three hundred and eighty five thousand dollar budget uh, and he said it was his best film. Hmm. <laughs> and it, it is like I think he consistently considered it his, to be his best, but you know, mainly I think on uh, the the criterion that it was also the most successful. Hmm. Yeah, I, like the scope is a lot bigger on the Navigator uh, considerably. Yeah. And it's also like a good 30, 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes longer. Yeah, uh, 20, because uh, Sherlock Jr.'s 44 minutes navigator is uh, uh, 65 minutes. Uh, I, you can watch both of them complete on their Wikipedia pages. Oh, really? Like, <laughs> like dir- video links on the... <laughs> yeah, they're directly embedded on the Wikipedia pages for each of them, which is kind of funny. Well, that's cool. Uh, but like Navigator, it was so successful that his final film is also a remake of it. Oh, interesting! Or his the final one he uh, the final starring film that's like a Buster Keaton film. He made many movies afterward, but like his last silent feature, uh, he he had a weird career after this. Uh, it's so strange. He was one of the biggest, and then sound hit, and he was just done. <laughs> Like he's in stuff, but he never stars in a movie again. Yeah, it was weird seeing him in that uh, that '60s one where he's going across Canada on the rail car. The rail rotter. That one's fun. Yeah, where he's like just this old man, but he's still Buster Keaton. He's still doing his shit. Uh, there's a, a documentary, Buster Keaton Rides Again, that's on the same disc with that one. Uh, it's got all sorts of backs, uh, behind the scenes footage of. Uh, the making of that and the the best is to him just sulking because the the director won't let him do a really dangerous railroad stunt and you're, you're too old for this <laughs> i i'm just picturing like him sulking as one of his buster keaton characters though i mean he kind of like buster keaton isn't so much a character you know it's, he's just this superhuman and it's him just doing his stunts and it is crazy the kind of stuff he can do just like obviously the stunts and the the physical uh comedy are amazing but just the skill at things that he has from having to do it for this work like he could fucking destroy anyone at pool (laughs) oh man that's probably my favorite scene in this whole in these whole two films is the pool scene the billiard scene is amazing. It's so much fun. <laughs> I I can't watch that scene without just bursting out laughing. 
it's hysterical uh, just how incredible he is at pool and then you keep cutting away to these two guys waiting for him to blow himself up and it just not happening and they're like i don't know and the guy trying to do the hand gestures to describe how it worked <laughs> so i guess we'll start with sherlock jr where uh he's a movie theater projectionist Ah, yes, there's a proverb that says, don't try to do two things at once and expect to do justice to both. But this is of a story of a boy who tried it. (laughs) A boy who tried it. I like that Buster Keaton's characters are all very Uh, self-deprecating. He never really portrays himself as super rogue. He's always kind of a fuck up who just makes it work. Mm-hmm. Even in the next one, where he's like a super billionaire, he is the most useless billionaire. Well, well yeah, I, billionaires tend to be useless, but that, I think that yeah. is the joke as well. I, I think that's sort of the <laughs> gag. He liked to play rich idiots. <laughs> uh, but but here he's a working man. Yeah, very poor working class. He, he wants to scrape together a couple dollars to get candies for his gal. Yep. Uh, but luck would have it, he finds some when he's sweeping up the floor. A dollar. A dollar. <laughs> Which, you know, it's, it's 1924. That's, that's, that's money. That's money. Yeah. <laughs> it's not big money, but it's money. <laughs> uh, hey, you know, I see, a, I see a dollar on the floor. I'm still picking it up. Oh, for real. Yeah. But I mean, you know, a, a dollar went further. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> and, and, this opening bit is also super good. The the garbage bit? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I like that we do establish how poor he is. He finds this dollar and he puts it in his wallet with two other dollars and that's all he's got. Yeah. And, and these are like haggard dollar bills yeah. too. They are not crisp or new. They may also have been found in the garbage rather than earned. <laughs> <laughs> the lady comes in and is like, I lost a dollar. He's like, describe it <laughs> <laughs> this, this is so good so, so she's like doing hand gestures yeah like miming like the, the, the size and shape the rectangle yeah it's got a face on it looking back and forth between his dollar bill and her description he's checking he's like all right, it checks out, so he gives it back to her. Like, damn, I wanted that. And then he keeps finding more money. <laughs> but no, no, he doesn't find more oh, money. Oh, right, right. Other no. people show up and it's like, I lost a dollar. Right. Like this and, old lady. And and then they're looking through the trash and they keep finding more money that he missed in the trash. <laughs> yeah, the last guy, uh, he just gives oh, him right. his last dollar. Right. It, no, the, the old lady... He he gives her his own dollar out of his pocket, and then because <laughs> that the, one was just like he described, right? Because he's like, uh, "Can you describe it?" He's like, "All right." <laughs> it, it's he it's like quickly does much quicker, gesture. and then the third guy shows up, and he's just ready to give it to him, and the guy's like, "I don't want your fucking dollar," and he's like, he goes to the trash and finds like a wallet, just a huge wad of bills. <laughs> Just like, like digging frantically through the trash. Great. Uh, so the now he's yep. Rule of three is classic. So now he's down a down a buck, and yeah. he's only got one now. He can't get the nice candy. He has to get the cheap candy. He only can get a small box instead of one that's like the size of a cereal box. 
but you know ever the ever the rascal ever the clever one he just puts a big he turns the one dollar on the that's written on the box into a four with the pencil yeah uh you know he he's got always got an angle uh, and he's also got a ring that he's going to give her. So, like, I think he's probably just spent all of his money on the ring. You would have to hope. Yeah. <laughs> I I hope so. <laughs> uh, uh, we meet the girl played by Catherine McGuire, who is awesome. Uh, she's better in the other in Navigator than she is in this, but she's awesome in this. She's good. Uh, she doesn't have as much to do in this, but I just really like her bit where she solves the case way before him. That really she cracks me up. Case, like <laughs> before the second act starts, <laughs> she solves the case before he begins investing the investigating the case in his dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> and I think that's a really cool thing about about this one is that. All the cool, crazy-ass stunts, all the tension that we're seeing isn't in the story because the story's resolved when we yeah. when we get there. It's the story's resolved just... immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all... so we can just be like, we can just sit back and enjoy the stunts and then be like, wait, it actually is crazy because he's still doing this shit. Yeah, it is still just totally astonishing to watch him do everything. Uh <laughs> So yeah, the 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 setup of the plot is I, I we we didn't mention it, he's also studying to be a, a private detective as well as being a projectionist. Yeah, he's got this book, um, how how to be a detective or something like that. Yeah, and uh, uh, he he's reading that and he's got his magnifying glass and he's ready to be a private eye. Yeah, and it's a good thing too because someone has stolen the girl's father's watch. <laughs> the local chic. <laughs> the local chic. Uh, the scoundrel, this near do well. He he just looks like a bastard. He's just like his romantic rival too. He's the the other dude who wants to date uh, uh, Catherine McGuire. So yeah, she doesn't have an actual name. No, no, <laughs> she's, she, like, she's the girl. She's the girl. If uh, she's well, even that. <laughs> well, just like Buster Keaton is the boy. I mean, yeah. I guess he's Sherlock Jr. in this, but that's... Well, he's Sherlock Jr. <laughs> in the dream. Yeah, that's not his actual name in the movie. So yeah, he's <laughs> the boy. He's Buster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah th this guy, though, he's like a mustache twirling and everything yeah word crane he's just a classic silent film guy uh i think he did a lot of mustache twirling villains in his day <laughs> major like uh, pretty much only active in the 20s uh yeah i think he died in 1928 oh, oh really young oh wow uh age 38 oh jeez. Uh, uh place of death saranac lake i wonder if he drowned or something yeah Oh no, pneumonia! I see. Oh, Jeez, that sucks. Yeah, Jesus. so yeah, uh, only four years after this. Jeez. Oh wow. Uh, anyway, yeah, Ward Crane. He's he's a good uh, villain in this. He's fun. <laughs> yep. Uh, he he stole the father's watch and then used it to buy the big candy to impress the sweetheart. Yeah, he pawns it for the four dollars, and he brings the actual big. Or no, it's a three dollar box but it's way bigger 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which obviously immediately shows up Buster that he's got the $4 on this tiny box. <laughs> yeah. And and Buster made like this big show of making sure that she saw that it was a $4 candy box. <laughs> yeah, and look at look at that. <laughs> like just that forcefully mm. slips it upside down as like pointing at the four like pretty impressive right and then this guy shows up with a huge box of chocolates and she's much more impressed with him and then the father yeah. notices that his watch has been stolen and buster's so, like oh hey i'm i'm a detective yeah so he's reading his book to find out what to do and the near-to-well is reading over his shoulder to figure out how to thwart him so he yeah. he puts the pawn ticket in in uh buster's pocket yeah and then buster takes charge of the case he's like the first thing we must do is search everybody and he, first he, i love he searches the dad first and the dad's like i'm the one who's got who's been <laughs> stolen from and he's like no no it's procedure we search everyone that's what the book says and so he gets through all of them like well we didn't find it and he's like well you need to search yourself too I'm like oh well i guess so and they find the pawn ticket and the father's like get out of my house never come back yeah and the and the girl is like sobbing by the stairs she gives him back his oh we didn't talk about like the ring that he has to use the magnifying glass to show her oh yeah that's right <laughs> uh, it's got a very tiny little gem on it yeah it's cute. And she gives it back to him and he's banished from the house yeah and then he he shadows the sheik which is so <laughs> awesome oh my god he's standing like two inches behind him and just completely mimicking everything he does as he's like going down the street just perfectly in sync with him so close behind him there there's that amazing moment where uh the guy lights a cigarette and he smokes a bit <laughs> and he throws it behind him and buster like in this perfect motion catches it smokes it and throws it behind him in exactly the same way without missing a beat it's incredible yeah. <laughs> it's so good and, and like they do this whole thing like crossing traffic, avoiding pitfalls. Uh, Buster walks into a wall a few times. Of course. And finally, the sheik just turns around and sees him. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm just getting on this train here, I guess. That's what I was doing here. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then, of course, this is when the girl goes and solves the case on her own. She, she goes yeah. to the pawnbroker with the pawn ticket. The obvious thing to do It's like, hey, uh, could you describe the guy who sold this to you? And he's like, oh yeah, it's that guy right there. The sheik walks he's by. Just, out, just outside the window. <laughs> like, oh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, we get train stunts. <laughs> oh yeah, you gotta We're have running... some train stunts. Buster oh, Keaton man. loves a train stunt and he loves a boat stunt. <laughs> this one, like, I've, I never saw this movie before, but I have seen this stunt. Uh, he's like running on the top of the train staying dead center in the frame eventually he just grabs onto this like water tower thing and it just dumps this water on him and he, it's so funny very famous bit because of course this is where he broke his neck <laughs> yeah he, uh, he literally broke his it. neck and didn't know and just like went back to work and it healed funky <laughs> as you might expect yeah yeah um, yeah, apparently the amount of water that came out surprised everybody. Yeah, just it it came down really hard and just smashed him. So yeah. he like went home and like, oh man, I don't feel great. And then 
just kept on going because that's what you do when you're Buster Keaton. Yep. <laughs> uh, so thoroughly defeated, he decides he's going to go back to his day job. Yeah. And fall asleep at his day job. Right. And they're showing a film that's very pertinent to what's going on in his life. It's a story about uh, a pearl necklace that's been stolen and he dreams that he's Sherlock Jr. And he walks into the movie screen. Although first yeah. we have that great bit where his, it's like his soul leaves his body and tries to wake <laughs> himself up. And then he like takes the soul of his hat and puts it on. <laughs> yeah. His ghost hat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the bit when he's like tapping uh, the shoulder of his corporeal body is like, Hey, wake up. This is happening. <laughs> and then he, you know, he, I, I, the, the walk into the movie screen, obviously done by having a theater stage with a frame around it, but the, the quick cut when you have just all of the scene changes and him just in the middle of it is so incredible. Yeah. It's like, I've never, I've seen this done so many times in movies, but never this well. And this is, the first time it was done yeah <laughs> like, like, he originated it how how like he is in the exact he's not even a millimeter off how did he do it i mean just precision this was fully directed by him and he just made it work like he yeah, i guess did everything and yeah it's it's incredible like it's it's totally astonishing to watch just as a physical feat yeah like like it's it switches from like he try first like the 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 sheik shoves him out of the theater and then when he comes back in it switches to a door which he opens up and then he's in like a bench or something and then a mountain there's a snow field uh, and he's in yeah. traffic yeah it just keeps switching around and like he gets spun around by stuff and then he's in a different place uh it would have to be a really avant-garde film just <laughs> all these weird establishing shots but <laughs> Finally, uh, 1920s David Lynch, maybe. Yeah, it's weird because all of a sudden it's just like a scene change and he's just not there. And I guess he's then properly absorbed into the film and he can join the story. Yep. Uh, we have we have the pearl thief, the scoundrel and his ghoulish butler assistant. Oh, I love the butler. Like, <laughs> setting up like home alone traps. Yeah, you got like an axe that's going to come and fall on a chair if he sits in it. There's some poison. There's yeah. the exploding pool ball, which is the real star. Oh, yeah. And Sherlock Jr. enters the stage. He's got like this top hat. He's like super well-dressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's all like, I'm going to find out who stole these pearls. But he uh, he gets caught up in a pool game with the Sheik after almost making the sheik drink his own poison <laughs> yeah it's it's a, a sort of weird bit where he just keeps grabbing the wrong one uh, the the other the butler has to put his thumb in it so he doesn't drink it he's <laughs> yeah. like no no that's that's the wrong one i can't have you drink that and uh they they set up the exploding pool ball and there's just this incredible series of him running the table and just <laughs> and... <laughs> jumping the ball like things going over it going around it it's a long bit, and it's not like just one shot because they cut away and then they cut back to it with these increasingly improbable situations. But he does manage to do every single one of these trick shots expertly. And then we keep cutting back to the butler describing what's happening to the sheik or scoundrel or whatever. Yeah, and 
and he's just like trying to do hand gestures. Um, it kind of reminds me of like that Simpsons bit when, uh, when uh, Homer's describing how a sperm gets to the egg, and like oh, they come yeah. back, and he's he's like he, doing the wobbly. T- yeah, he's he's uh, miming being a sperm, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, the the payoff is that he ultimately then just sinks the shot, and it doesn't explode. <laughs> such a good bit. Yeah, and then he he like he leaves the house, and he like almost drops the pool ball. Right, he he like juggles it, he like, whoa, it. Whoa, yeah, he <laughs> he knew all along because he's Sherlock Junior. And I gotta fool him. And of course, yeah. the the other guys they rush him. We can't believe that happened, and they're searching things. And one of the guys sits down and almost gets hit by the axe. <laughs> the butler drinks the poison. <laughs> he only sips just a little bit, and then they have to go run off. Uh, then we have my favorite title card. Uh, by the next day, the mastermind had completely solved the mystery, with the exception of locating the pearls and finding the thief. <laughs> yeah, still didn't really know anyone who did it, but the case has been solved. And the case <laughs> has been solved, just not by well, him. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all of this is just extraneous we're just watching him imagine things so then we get his sidekick who i really love gillette gillette uh, the master of disguise <laughs> who is his boss in in uh the theater in the real oh, world he's the oh, theater manager yeah interesting so in in his dream he works for him their situations and he's like this completely devoted assistant yep who is of course also super competent more competent almost really yeah well yeah yeah i mean sherlock jr he only ever wins by accident whereas it's it's a bit of both he usually knows what's going on and then it's just that gillette keeps appearing where you don't expect him to be it's like he's just kind of magically shown up like riding on the back of the car i love the running gag that uh that he never that buster never recognizes him yeah. and he always has to take off his disguise and like no it's, it's me your assistant it's the eugene parmesan bit from arrested <laughs> development yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I I could not imagine Buster making that kind of sound because I have heard him talk and he does not have that sort of voice. Oh, Gene. <laughs> oh, really? Is that what he sounds like? He's got a really uh, raspy. He, he sounds like a working man. That is not what I expected. Yeah, yeah. I I honestly expected him to sound like Buster from Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch the Buster Keaton writes again sometime. I, I it's guess fascinating. I, yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean that's that's what happened is he finally spoke on film and people were like, that's not what Buster Keaton sounds like, and it didn't work out. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's that's what the, the silent to sound era did to a lot of people. Oh, damn. So he's stalking the he's stalking the sheik again, and this time ends up trapped on a roof. Uh, oh, this is shenanigans! He, yeah, I love the bit where he he rides down the uh, the swinging or the the raised the gate. Railroad, yeah, the railroad yeah. crossing, uh, the raising lowering bar. Yeah, he he <laughs> like rides it down into the back seat of the car. <laughs> yeah, where he's just like relaxing as the sheik's driving away. And we just see this guy on the back seat where the, or the 
on the very back bumper where the spare tire would be, of course, it's Gillette. Yeah, he's hanging on the bumper, and that's that's Gillette. And like, how did you get here? There's a few <laughs> times. It's like, how did you do that? And Gillette has all sorts of not really gadgets, but the 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 things that they managed to do with this dress are are kind of incredible. <laughs> yeah, so because they, they find uh, the hideout, they find the hideout because that's they they just drive up there. Yeah, and, and they set up this round thing. Uh, it's not really clear. Well, no, it is clear. They do show it. It's it's a dress. Yeah, it's a round dress case. Yeah, it's a dress, and they they put the ca- the dress back in the case, and they set it up outside one of the windows of the. Uh, <laughs> somehow, just it's it's yeah. against one of the windows in the hideout, and they go in, start a ruckus. <laughs> yep, and and the scoundrel like he's got his whole gang now mm-hmm. in the dream. And he's like, oh, that cage is where I put another detective, and that's where I'll put you when I'm done with you. And they've also kidnapped the girl now, too. Yes, they kidnapped the girl <laughs> because they're scoundrels. Yeah, that's they're all bad. They they're baddies. <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah, they've taken her off to a cabin in the woods. And now that they've revealed their evil plan to Buster, he can make his escape. And yeah, he dives through the window and he's just perfectly in the dress. It's like a magic <laughs> trick. He, he just like dives through. He's in the dress. He rolls. It's like a cartoon. It's very Bugs Bunny. And then he's just walking away in the dress and you're like, well, that's not him. They <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, they chase around for a little bit more. Uh, Buster finds Gillette with this big suitcase like with that's full of ties right that he's got open like he's selling them i think this was a a normal way that people would sell ties back in the day and this is just the most incredible effect in the whole movie just mind-blowing yeah yeah so basically he he stands leaning against this wall with the suitcase open and buster as he's being chased by these thugs jumps through the suitcase and through where Gillette's body presumably is. He, it's like he dives into the suitcase and Gillette closes the suitcase and yeah. then he's just gone. <laughs> it's yeah, incredible. he walks away from the wall. There's no like doorway behind him. Oh, it's 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 How a magic they trick. Do this? It's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> uh so yeah, he loses them. That that part is just it, it always blows my mind every time I see it. Yeah. Uh, he catches up to Gillette later on on a police motorcycle, mm-hmm. and and Gillette's like, "Here, I'll give you a ride to the hideout," and he hops on the handlebars, but Gillette immediately falls off. Yeah, so he's just riding on the handlebars through this on this motorcycle that's actually going through downtown, and he doesn't realize that no one's piloting it, and he's just like doing the stone face thing. He's just like watching things go by, and there's that. <laughs> absolutely amazing shot of it just like attached to the side because he didn't want to get anybody else on it because it was extremely dangerous where he goes across the railroad tracks and with the train barely missed by the train oh and he doesn't even look at it it's incredible (laughs) it's like you know it's it's the real life version of the the action hero walking away from a fireball like our man just like got on (laughs) barely dodged a train it's like i'm not even gonna look at it i'm that cool (laughs) Yep. Um, he happens to ride directly to the villain's lair and like flies through a window and kicks the guy, the I guess the butler again, through the through the opposite wall. 
it's like a rocket kick you know he he flies off a speeding motorcycle and kicks someone yeah. <laughs> it goes through a window yeah awesome uh, he saves the girl and gets in one of the bad guys cars and they're doing a car chase cool car uh, chase and then yeah. uh, of course ultimately the the car i i don't remember much of the car chase on the way just when he gets to the end of the pier oh right he he uses the billiard ball yeah he throws the billiard ball which explodes their car and then his own car it they they get to the end of the pier (laughs) and the top of it just goes off into a river leaving the wheels and chassis behind just the wheels and the frame yeah yeah they they turn it into like uh he pops the convertible top and it turns into like a boat. Yeah, it becomes their like their own little boat, and they <laughs> they sail, and he wakes back up. Yep, and the girl meets him in the projection room. Is like, hey, we made a terrible mistake. It turns out. Yeah, uh, I solved this while you were asleep. It's okay. <laughs> and yeah, he he's watching the movie screen to kind of inform him on what to say to the girl, and then. <laughs> you know it's one of those happily ever after endings where it cuts forward and they have kids and he's like oh (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's just scratching his head like oh is that the next step here i don't know how we go from here to there i don't know i I feel as much like oh my (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. oh oh, wow (laughs) yeah yeah he's like watching and mimicking the hero from the the romance film yeah (laughs) It's it's perfect. And that that's it. it, it that's it's it. So efficient. Forty four minutes just flat out. Yeah, it's 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 so good. There is no joke doesn't land. Everything True. is perfect. Yeah, and every stunt is incredible, and uh, just the the way things are done. The like everything's done in the coolest way it could possibly be done. Mm-hmm. And and like making half of it a dream. And having the mystery solved at the beginning to remove all the stakes weirdly works in its favor. Well, because it's comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you already know it's like, well, it's resolved, but he's having his dream about him solving it. So he can get the emotional uh, resolution of solving it himself and being the detective he wants to be, even though it's really his girlfriend who actually did the whole thing. <laughs> he, he can solve the case while still being the lovable fuck up. Yeah. He he can win and lose. Now, the, the, mm-hmm. he he always maintains that status where he is he succeeds but he's never high status even no. in the navigator our next one. Yeah, so the so navigator. He's Rolo Treadway, great name. <laughs> I also like uh Frederick Vroom is is uh one of the actors in this. Oh yeah, it's I just think an actual plays, name. <laughs> I think he, yeah, he plays the father. Yeah, yeah, he's the dad. Uh, Frederick Room, just an amazing name. <laughs> so anyway, Rolo Treadway, he is a classic Buster Keaton, rich wastrel. <laughs> uh, every family tree is living proof that every family tree must have its sap. Yeah, and he he just has this gigantic mansion. This is a thing he does in a couple of these. Uh, there's that other one, The Battling Butler, where he's, again, just this obscenely wealthy guy, uh, where that one, it just seems like the obscenely wealthy thing could have gotten him out of most of what happens in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, being obscenely wealthy doesn't really help him with any problem here and maybe no. works to his disadvantage. Because there's anarchists. They can't be reasoned with. Neither can cannibals. They don't need money. No. Yeah. <laughs> so th those are the, the antagonists in this one. So I, I guess we start with the anarchists, right? We do. We start yeah. with the anarchists. Um, they are the enemy of whoever they're against. Or no, the enemy of them. So whoever it is they're against, it doesn't yeah. matter, <laughs> has bought this boat. So they're like, oh, well. We have to destroy it before they can get at it. So let's just cut it loose and set it drift to sea. Right. So the the navigator, the ship which he, uh, our our Rolo Treadway is uh, going to go on a honeymoon cruise on. Uh, he thinks. He thinks. <laughs> <laughs> so the, yeah, we we see their plan, and then we we get our Rolo Treadway, and he's like looking out the window, and he sees a black couple who have just gotten married, and he's inspired. Yeah, he, he says to his butler, he's like, I think I'll get married yeah. tonight. I, I think it's interesting that it is a black couple, and I kind of almost wonder if it's him putting in civilized modern black people playing black people as sort of like, I know, I know the cannibals thing. <laughs> like, look, we're doing cartoon stuff. I don't think mm. black people are like that. <laughs> Oh, oh, that—that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I that, kind of, I kind of do get that feeling. It could be, yeah, because cannibal thing is uncomfortable. It's a little uncomfortable, but it's not as bad as some of the other ones. Like some of the others do have blackface. There's only one where he does blackface. Oh, uh, just and the one. That's good. yeah. I mean, it's not great that he does <laughs> it, but the, it's this weird thing where he is actually trying to be undercover as a black person to get a job in a place they only hire black waiters. Oh, it's, okay. I mean, it's still not great, uh, but yeah. The the great thing is that when people find out he's in blackface, you know, he's among other black people, and they're like, "This dude's in blackface," and he gets chased out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> so. That sort of works out there. But yeah, I do think this being a black couple at the start does sort of reflect the thing at the end where it's like, okay, I, I just want to make clear that we're just doing cartoon stuff here. And it's not meant to be taken too seriously. Yeah. It's like okay. social opinion. Okay. Um, I, I never considered that, but yeah, I, I can see that. But yeah, so he... I don't know if, I don't know if that makes it okay, but <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, I, I can it's... acknowledge that it's there. I mean, it's 1924, so as yeah. well, you know, uh, the time we're 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 not far off of uh, Birth of a Nation being yeah, the biggest yeah. movie ever made. So it, it's like, hey, uh, he's he's making some sort of effort, <laughs> at least a small amount, uh, and it it doesn't ever seem like he is actively. It, it, there's no racism in most of his movies it's very very uncommon where you mm -hmm. do get it to crop up a little bit more often in most other stuff from the era so you know, <laughs> well, yeah it's it's the water you're in right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh but yeah uh rollo treadway he sees this and he tells his family yeah i'm gonna get married and i go propose to my sweetheart although <laughs> it's the one thing he doesn't really think about with his sweetheart is like i mean that'll just work out yeah yeah <laughs> uh, like the, the in fact the next title card is he completed all the arrangements except to notify the girl 
Yeah. So then he goes to the girl. I really love him <laughs> getting chauffeured to the other side of the street. It literally, like, it looks like it's a long road. So it looks like he's going to have a long way to drive. And he just does a U-turn. Yeah, because, like, she lives across the street from him. Uh, <laughs> just two mansions across the street from each other. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a wide street, but still, uh, it sets us up for a great gag later when yeah. he where he just walks, he walks back across instead, and he gets there faster than the car does. Because yeah, because he's so mad because she she says no, of course, because he's like, ah, oh, so we're gonna get married tomorrow and go on this cruise. Like, no, we're not. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. So the so the girl again played by Catherine McGuire here. Yeah. And she is uh, she, so good in this. She, she is a phenomenal in this. She's like, like the, the only person. Lead. Yeah, she's the only person to ever really match him physically in one of these films. She's just tremendous uh, at the physicality of the role. Mm-hmm. When the two of them are on the boat and she's like getting dumped in the water or, and, and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah, she's just uh, matching him uh, uh, at every at every turn. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's the daughter of the guy who's selling the boat to, I guess, the enemy nation. Yeah, this uh, John O'Brien played by Frederick Vroom. Love that name. <laughs> so yeah, she she turns him down, and he sulks back to his mansion as the chauffeur follows him. But he gets there fast. Yeah, he just walks straight across, and the chauffeur has to do the U-turn. It's slower, and so the the uh, he decides he's still going to go on the trip because you know, it's already a thing he's doing and uh the butler's like okay well the it t- sets sail at 10 a.m like well i don't get up that early and i go there right now <laughs> 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 just sleep aboard the ship yeah so his ship is on pier two uh and the navigator's on pier 12 but when they open up the gate it's like one of those picket fence type gates so it covers up the one Right. So he goes to the navigator's thing thinking it's Pier 2, but that's going to get drift out to sea. Right. And uh, he he goes to sleep on the ship and they come and cut it loose and Betsy comes. Or Betsy and her father show up? Uh, yeah, the father shows up and gets kidnapped and she's looking for him. She thinks he's on the boat, so that's why she gets on there. Right, because she hears him yelling for help. She gets on the boat and then... It's set adrift, so it's just her and Buster on the drifting ship. Yeah, she is like freaking out because she's like, she understands the trouble she's in. She's like, oh my god, I'm going to drift on a boat in the middle of fucking nowhere, and I can't live for myself because I'm also a, the daughter of a rich person. Yeah, and I, Buster's I, just sleeping like a baby. It's funny that neither of them have any capability of doing anything. Although it's fun that at, we we see them trying to figure out things like opening cans. They they don't know how to use <laughs> the key to open the can. The cans of asparagus, which by the way, gross. It's canned asparagus. I yeah. like asparagus, but canned asparagus, ew. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that I would mean, be really bad. Yeah, but I guess on long sea voyages, you just you gotta have your preserved food. Sure, but asparagus, why? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, they, they wake up. They're they're on the ship. They it, they set about it, homemaking. It it takes a while for them to encounter each other because they each think they're alone on the ship and they're like running around the ship for a good long time. Mm-hmm. A big ship. Yeah. 
but they do finally run into each other. I, I think literally. Yeah. And they go about trying to make breakfast. And <laughs> I love food crimes in these movies. A lot of food crimes in these. I, I would say that the biggest offender of that was definitely Fatty Arbuckle, who anytime oh. he was near any sort of giant pot or something, something disgusting was going to be in it that shouldn't be like... <laughs> I, there, there's that one where he like pulls his coat out of there, his shoes, just everything is in the fucking pot. Oh, fatty Arbuckle. But they, yeah, they they set up about doing things in the kitchen. He tries to make coffee with seawater. <laughs> yeah, he pulls up a bucket of water and puts it in the from the ocean and puts it in the coffee maker. I love their reaction when they finally get around to drinking it. I, I like his reaction, especially because he drinks a bit of it and just like the look on his face. And, mm. and then he just like leaves with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he comes back and puts like a shitload of sugar into it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, she, I love how like she when she's making the coffee, she counts out four coffee beans and puts it in the pot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he can't get the cans asparagus open and he can't get the boiled eggs out of the gigantic boiling water pot. Yeah, he just is not having any luck with them. All the, all the eggs. It's a huge, ridiculously large pot for what they're trying to do. It's like, oh yes, it's like a cannibal pot. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, or or like a pot you would use if you were boiling eggs for an entire crew of people for a vessel. Right, which I guess but this yeah. is what it's supposed to be. Yeah, but yeah, no, you he could easily fit in that pot if somebody wanted to cook him. Yeah. <laughs> so as they're having their breakfast, they see another ship uh, just out the window, so they're saved. Right, and they they don't know any of the maritime stuff, so it's like, oh, let's put up a really bright flag, whichever flag is the brightest. So they put up a <laughs> yellow flag, and yellow flag means quarantine. So the ship's yeah. like, okay, well, let's just leave those people where they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and it's like come on come on no come on save us they lower a rowboat into the water <laughs> uh, hilariously badly of course yeah they're not good at this stuff yet they're, they no. become good at it by the end yeah, well they they come up with unconventional stuff that works yeah because like it, it's essentially after this point that we have like a flash forward to them having just built wires into everything that they can just pull and stuff like it automatically makes coffee for them and opens cans (laughs) well yeah first we have to have that horrible first night where they're like trying to sleep with the painting that's my favorite gag in the movie the painting outside (laughs) the window cracks me up so much yeah so so buster ends up like trying to tow the big giant navigator ship with a rowboat which of course predictably sinks yeah doesn't work out Uh, they have like this whole hilarious thing of trying to get him out of the water she keeps ending up in the water yeah this is Uh, the part i was thinking of specifically where just the physicality of her going over the side of the ship him coming back up the ship they're on like (laughs) pulleys and ropes weighing each other uh just her really thrown into the physicality of it in a way that rarely happened with the female leads in these movies yeah uh like when she's unconscious and he's trying to get her on the ever collapsing deck chair yeah that that bit is really cool and there is uh there's a better version of that in spite marriage it's the only oh. really good gag in spite marriage where he has gotten 
spite married to this lady. This lady married him out of spite to this other guy. And right. she gets completely hammered and he she's like considerably larger than him. Like she's, you know, a statuesque, tall, beautiful woman. He's Buster. He's tiny. And it's him <laughs> trying to carry her unconscious drunk body to bed. <laughs> it's work of art. The, the, yeah, this, this feels, this is the same kind of idea. Yeah, this is like a rough <laughs> sketch for it. <laughs> uh, they do eventually get the deck chair thing sorted out and they find their sailor suit pajamas oh they're so cute i love those <laughs> adorable they're adorable uh, little sailor outfits they're both different styles <laughs> yeah yeah buster's got a black one and she's got a white one mm-hmm. um they find the uh the giant firecrackers that they think are candles well the box is marked candles it's just there's another box in front of where it says Roman. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And well, it's, it, he gets a Roman candle and he passes her like an M80. And yep. Just, they light them and they're looking at It's like, this isn't really giving off a lot of light. <laughs> and of course, you know, just uh, his shoots off, his Roman candle shoots off, which causes her to freak out and drop her M80, which is a big explosion. Yeah, well, it's good that she dropped it because she would have lost a yeah. hand. But oh, yeah, yeah, he he's lit it and he's just like looking around and it just keeps firing them. Like, what? 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that whole thing that he's unaware that he's holding a uh, an exploding, a currently exploding piece of equipment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, they, they they play around with those a bit, which is good to establish the fireworks as that that's what the ship is full of, so they can mm-hmm. use those later. Uh, trying to get to bed uh, her cabin has this fucking painting <laughs> i think it must be a painting of the captain because he looks like it this really salty angry sea dog kind of guy he's got <laughs> you know fisherman <laughs> cap on you know classic yep. knit cap and he just looks so angry and it's just him staring straight out of the painting and She's like, she's so unnerved by it, she throws it overboard. <laughs> but it catches on this hook, so it keeps swinging outside of Buster's room. And it, it, it's th- this perfect sway where it looks like he just is walking by and looking in the window. And <laughs> the first time Buster sees him and sees that face, like, that cracks me up. That's incredible. Perfectly designed <laughs> gag. Just because that guy's face is incredible for it. <laughs> and it's like this... This this painting would never exist. It's just like just all black space. His face only takes up maybe a quarter of it. Well, it's right in the center, so that it can yeah. be in in the porthole and just perfectly framed, like a real person size. Yeah, yeah. Like there's no painting. There's no reason why this painting would exist outside of to do this one specific gag. But it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Him so, seeing out his window, just every time, <laughs> the the shock at this face looking in the window, because that would be terrifying if you were on a ship and this face was suddenly looking at you through the outside window. Yep. <laughs> so, so yeah, he screams, uh, which wakes her up. So she comes out, but he comes out like wearing a bed sheet because he's scared of this she face. He's a ghost. She, <laughs> of course, uh, her terrified run is so good it's very shaggy-esque you know shaggy and scooby mm-hmm. yeah uh they they do all these other shenanigans to try to find a place to rest uh like they they go into like the salon but the 
the swaying of the ship knocks the needle onto the record player and it starts playing the spooky music <laughs> that so, freaks them out. Yeah, so ultimately they end up sleeping in the boilers because you know they <laughs> they don't they're not right they're not uh, burning anything in the ship. It's not running. It's just a drift. Uh, i love like just towards the end of that maybe my favorite bit in the whole thing in Mm. this one is buster shuffling the cards oh they're just the soggy deck of cards that's great saddest fucking thing you'll ever see you can't shuffle a single card this this ruined waterlogged set of cards just him shuffling them i mean it's a very simple physical bit but it just pays dividends because it's so ridiculous to see someone try to shuffle cards that are all stuck together they're you know it's it's before they made them plasticized so they didn't have so they, they couldn't be i think it's like getting that. stuck to the table and to each other and like they're all tearing to bits and they're like sticking to his fingers and folding around him it's so good and this is like after he's gone through all this shit and is like he just wants to play solitaire just wants to chill out just wants to relax uh, but yeah they've set up like all these different automated coffee making machines and a hacksaw spinning wheel to open up the asparagus cans. They still never figured out how to open up the proper way. <laughs> oh no, no. Uh, like a deep fryer cage sort of looking thing for the, for the boiled eggs. It's a crab trap or something, isn't it? Something like that. I think it might just be a skimmer or whatever, but oh, maybe anyway, he, he gets all that stuff out and then they, uh, happen to drift to this tropical island. Yep, they're super excited until they look at the binoculars and see oh, it's a stereo, a very stereotypical island cannibal village, just like oh yes, the the most stereotypical version of it. And <laughs> you know, you you have your horde of cannibals, and they like head out. They they start canoeing out to the ship. Yep, and uh, meanwhile the ship. Uh, one of the pipes has sprung a leak and it has to be fixed from outside. Somehow they know this. Yeah, it's it's weird that they'd know that. But anyway, <laughs> Buster has to get in, or Rolo has to get in a diving bell, which is classic friggin', old school yeah, diving suit. Old timey diving suit with the big round fishbowl head. Oh, I wouldn't want to. It, it looks horrible. But he, <laughs> really great underwater stuff in this, too. Oh, yeah. I love the first time he puts it on, he's smoking a cigarette. And he, like, <laughs> smokes himself out of the helmet. He's like, oh, okay, we won't do that. So he, <laughs> they, she puts him over the side, and he's fixing it. There's that pit where, like, a swordfish comes by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, a swordfish, like, pokes him in the butt. So he grabs the swordfish, and he uses it to have a sword fight with another swordfish. It's cool. Uh, he he cuts one of the he cuts a cable with the lobster claw. I mean, all of this is Looney Tunes. I I feel like yep. I mean, like Sherlock Junior. I would say is definitely in uh, to me. It's his best movie. This one it does feel like maybe the most influential because every yep. single thing in this is in Looney Tunes. Like th- this is a generator of every cartoon to come. You know, for quite some time. Maybe that's another reason why I didn't like this one as much, because most of what's in here, I've seen it before. It's been done. Yeah, it's it's yeah. been so heavily copied because this one was, you know, a massive success, too. Yeah, yeah. So he's like trying to repair the boat really 
like as quick as he can while the cannibals have got their cannibal boats. So they're going to try to kidnap the girl and we'll outrigger canoes. Yeah. Yeah. They, they get her. They, uh, he, he patches the hole, but like he gets back out and she's been taken by them. Yep. So he, he does like this whole, uh, rising from the ocean thing. Like he just walks onto the shore. Well, cause he can't get, he can't get back up cause you know, it's very heavy suit. So there's yeah. no way for him to return to the ship. So he just walks all the way, which is very improbable, but him rising <laughs> from the ocean in the, the suit, uh, you know, all the cannibals run away. Yeah, he does like a whole ooga booga waving his arms thing. Yeah, so Betsy runs and they 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 swim back, or she rides him back. It actually looks very kinky. <laughs> yes, yeah, she rides him like a boat. <laughs> like he can't breathe because uh, the oxygen tube had been cut, probably during his fight with the swordfish. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so he's just on his back, and she is seated on his crotch. Riding him like a boat, like rowing him as just like a ship as they they go back to the thing and then trying to get up. I straight up, Mm. I didn't think of it this way, but this is so kinky. It's extremely kinky. (laughs) (laughs) Never, never dawned on me. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, they, they get back and he can't climb the ladder because his suit is completely filled with water. (laughs) He takes his knife and he like just... That's a hole in his suit like he's disemboweling himself. Yeah, it looks like he's committing harakiri. And then just so much water comes and he's trying to like uh, pan it out of him. (laughs) His pants. (laughs) Yeah, they eventually end up getting up and they just like have him sitting upside down on the staircase to get the water out while he like wriggles out like like a newborn baby coming out. Yeah, it's like he's born out of this suit. And then, of course, they they have to the like the natives are showing up. They're sieging the ship. They've brought palm trees to use to climb <laughs> the sides. So yeah, they, so this, they have to get the fireworks. They got to get the fireworks to fight back, and and it works. Like there's bits where there's bits where they uh, sh- they scare him off with the fireworks. Uh, he's throwing coconuts from the palm trees oh, at yeah. one at them at one point. I I love when he gets his foot. Uh, uh, caught in the rope with the tiny cannon. Oh, that's, that's just... an amazing bit. And just him doing that incredible <laughs> swing uh, on on the end of that thing. When, oh, when yeah. like he goes off the side of the boat and just sw- do does like a full pendulum. Amazing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, eventually the natives get onto the boat and they're run off. They have to do like this zip line thing to get down to one of the native boats. No, it's it's Which, one of uh, it's their own boat. It's one of the days, oh, I think. Okay, e- either way, whatever boat they get onto sinks immediately. Yeah, it just immediately goes down, and the natives are after them. But then they just start rising <laughs> into the air. <laughs> I've definitely seen this exact ending done at least. The Simpsons have done it for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, they got rescued by a submarine that the just Navy. happened to be under them. Yep. Yeah, just rises up and, you know, they, they get in. There's that amazing bit where he falls on the dude. Yeah, he falls on the <laughs> on the dude and, like, he leans back and hits the steering lever. Okay. So the submarine <laughs> rolls. Good submarine stuff. does a fucking barrel roll. They're like, the way they're flying, 
<laughs> and like sliding down the thing. It's so it's good. Like it's it, clearly they did the two thousand one thing where they moved the whole room around them. That's that's they must have cool stuff. Maybe yeah. the first time that was done. I don't actually know. I think he did it one earlier time. Come to think of it, he did it in one of the shorts. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess they live happily ever after. They're saved, and you know they went on this cool adventure. He actually romanced her. I guess we we kind of skimmed over why she said no, is because he was just like really dismissive. And I was like, well, I feel like I should get married, and you seem like a good enough choice. Oh She's yeah, like, yeah. Hmm. No, no, man. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. kind of sucks as a proposal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now he's romanced her, so they can live happily ever after, I guess. We don't get one of those flash forwards where uh it's him <laughs> where it's like five babies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um it's good. It's um, great. It's it's a really it, good time. It's not as good as the as Sherlock Jr., but watched on its own. It's a, just a, a total banger. <laughs> yeah, uh, like the only thing I think is it's maybe about 10 minutes longer than it needs to be. I feel like the stuff with the natives goes on too long and, and the stuff with the the spies at the beginning doing the whole kidnapping, the father thing. None of that matters. The boat yeah. Drift, yeah. There's like, they need, it needed to be there, but I didn't need as much of it. I mean, the, the, the thing with the anarchist setting it adrift, it could have been just like two scenes. They, they could have been on it. I mean, you, you sort of have to do a little bit of maneuvering to have just the two of them on there. But, you know, having him on there because he went there early is easy enough. And, you know, yeah. the, you, you just invent a reason for the girl to be on there when it uh, goes without having a whole bunch of kidnapping bullshit around it. But whatever. It's minor. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's still only 64, 65 minutes. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I am nitpicking. Yeah. Like, they're, they're both great. They are. They really are. Um it's just that Sherlock Jr. is a masterpiece, whereas The Navigator is just a really, really good movie. Yeah. And, you know, it's the one that was the most successful. It is the one that he always said was his best, Navigator. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just, it, it paid dividends and it, you know, everybody liked it. It, uh, uh, it. it is the one he ended up remaking a couple years later. Well, had anybody ever shot underwater before, do you know? I think so. There's definitely okay. some, n- not a lot, but this one, you know, it, it's something that had been done a little bit, probably. Because, hmm. yeah, I'm I'm fairly certain there was a little bit of it, because I, I don't think he would have been the first to do it. <laughs> right. It would say on the Wikipedia page if he was the first oh, to do it. No, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, because I, I was actually surprised. I figured they were just simulating the underwater when I watched it the first time, and then the second time I was like, wow, no, they no, are absolutely, he is underwater. underwater. Yeah. That is not a stuntman either. That's him. Well, I mean, I don't see Buster Keaton. He doesn't. Stuntman no, he doesn't. Anything. He never used stuntman because they, they wouldn't be able to pull it off as well as he did. He was a stuntman. Like, was <laughs> yeah, <his> right. <laughs> but uh, so the underwater scenes were shot in the Riverside Municipal Pool. Oh, okay. they, they had to enlarge it for for they they had to extend the pool's concrete walls to 20 feet to do it (laughs) cool cool Uh, but then oh the extra weight in the pool caused the bottom to cave in so they had to finish filming (laughs) it in lake tahoe (laughs) fuck in lake tahoe it was icy cold so they had to constantly drink bourbon to stay warm enough to film in the cold (laughs) water 
Good stuff. Oh my god. <laughs> that sounds like See, this movie looks like it would be fun to make, but I bet it was hell. Yeah, it went over budget and it was like, you know, they they kind of brawled over it and then it was just fortunate that it ended up being a huge hit. <laughs> hey, it worked out. Yeah. No, it's and it is a great movie. Uh, like I, you know, see Sherlock Jr. first, but see both of them. They're they're awesome. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, see all the Buster Keaton films. They're all pretty great. It's just I haven't seen a bad one. Yeah, some of them are slightly problematic in different ways. This yeah. one, I would say, you know, Navigator has a tiny amount of it, but I think it's relatively, you know, it, it's more just it feels like a cartoon. It really has a '40s cartoon energy ahead of its oh, time. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. yeah, they're they're just awesome. <laughs> uh, so did you have any last thoughts on these two Buster Keaton films before we move on to our third and final section? Uh, no, I I think we've solved this case. <laughs> All right, well, on to part three, and we're back for the third and final section where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched in the past week and decide what we're going to cover next week. All right, what do we got this time? So we got nine picks, starting with The Exotic Ones, which I guess is kind of the signature exploitation movie of the Ormonds, sort of the the ultimate one. It is the final one they did. Uh, Next is when they switch to Christian movies. That's still so weird for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were always very Christian. Uh, and it's it's really especially evident in Girl from Tobacco Row. But mm. this one, it's weird. Because, you know, the, the narrative is that he had the plane crash and then was born again. And they only made Christian films. But technically, the plane crash happened between Girl from Tobacco Row and The Exotic Ones. So this is kind of like one last big exploitation blowout. And okay. it's my favorite one in the set by far so far. Excellent. It's it's uh, it's a great time. It does have a lot of uh, incredibly strange creatures to it. it. It has a similar vibe, except imagine if incredibly strange creatures were a King Kong story. Okay. Okay. Now, it's it's not exactly King Kong. You got your swamp thing, the swamp uh-huh. thing. So in uh, it's it's mostly set in this Louisiana strip joint. And uh, it's it's run by this elderly lady who's really got some vim. I sent you a couple of clips of her. She's funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, you got a bunch of strippers. There is a new girl who everybody really likes, except the veteran older girl who's been there a while. And, you know, she has an act where she, like, lights a bunch of fires and stuff. And it's, it's you know, an edgy act. And so... You know, we see all of the interpersonal drama at the strip club for a long time. It's mostly that. And then there's an expedition to capture the swamp thing. They go and capture the swamp thing in the swamp. Mm-hmm. This is a really tall guy. Okay, cool. And then they, uh, you know, they bring him back and they put him in a cage and they use him as a background prop for the dancers. And then, you know, he'll do his own act where, you know, he, he bites the head off a chicken. You know, geek act. Okay, sure. Uh, and then you know, there's this rival between the the younger and older uh, girls, kind of like a showgirls type thing, you know, the uh, veteran versus the newbie rival. Right, right, yeah. And the new girl really gets along with the Swamp Thing. It, it's 
uh, <laughs> it, it for whatever reason it really likes her and then the other girl like the meaner you know a veteran lady uh she gets mad about it and she's really jealous so she starts like lighting its cage on fire during the act and obviously it breaks out and mayhem ensues right right yeah this uh, is like a shape of water type thing well i mean it's the ormond <laughs> so there's there's not a lot of plot you know it's it's oh, okay. mostly there's a bunch of people who hang out in a strip joint and there's a swamp thing after about <laughs> half of the movie and then uh yeah uh, I don't know. It it just has a real crazy psychotronic energy, uh, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Cool, cool. Next is Ocean's Eleven. Right, yeah. I've been meaning to see one of these. This is the good one. Uh, the the Steven Soderbergh remake of the original. Much cooler. <laughs> got, <laughs> got much more action. It's more of a heist. Uh, yeah, I mean it's just it's it's a precision tooled perfect heist movie. It just it it hits every beat. It's got a really great lineup of stars. You know, Clooney is awesome. You got Brad Pitt, you got Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, Don Cheadle, Bernie Mac, Scott Kahn, Elliot Gould. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> that is a stacked cast. Yeah, and everybody has a specific job to do on the team. They're all very distinct characters. They all have a different look. Whereas, you know, the the Ocean's 11, the Rat Pack version, they're all kind of doing the same thing. They're all kind of dressed the same. They all kind of talk at the same tempo. There's, there's just no variety. It's it's really hard to tell what's happening. It's just so repetitive whereas this one's dynamic. Every time they're doing planning, they're doing it on the move. They're working on things. They're, there's always something actually happening when they're talking about things going to happen. And you know, when when, when the the heist happens, like it's it's a whole sequence. There's all sorts of stuff going on, and there's fake outs, and there's uh, yeah, it's cool. It's great. Right on. Uh, right on. You know, so the concept is Ocean, Danny Ocean, uh, Clooney. He's yeah. just out of jail. And he decides to uh, rob five casinos in one night. Oh, that's okay. Sure. All right. Simultaneously, all of them owned by the same guy. This guy he doesn't like. Oh, it's it's because he's a jerk. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's there's there's a lady a involved. There's a lady oh. involved. Uh, Julia Roberts, obviously. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, so you know he he assembles a team. You get the great assembling a team montages you get them doing i i would say that fast five bit a lot off of oceans 11 uh in terms of its heist planning and structure it's all <laughs> borrowed from oceans 11 yeah what i remember just being so happy to see uh tropes that i could meme about like i love it when we need to get a team together Oh no, I hate it when this job got, just got a whole lot more complicated. Right. <laughs> I love that shit. Uh, next, we've got Final Destination 2. I Second don't think movie. I've seen this one. I saw the first three, I think, when they were relatively new. This is the one, it's again shot locally. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I think it's a, the, the, the big fucking event in this one is a giant crash on probably the island highway or something <laughs> looks like the island highway anyway uh so yeah the the big death event at the beginning is there's just a gigantic car pile up from a logging truck 
know, so okay. unsecured load, log goes through a vehicle and then just a whole bunch of vehicles pile up behind it. And it um, sucks when that happens. Yeah, it's not good. And it's a thing that yeah. does happen sometimes. Yeah, it happens more than it should. So, uh, you know, same as the first one, someone has a premonition about this thing happening. So they don't, you know, they, they decide not to take the turn onto the road and then, you know, the pileup happens, but they're the one they're there's a group of people that they held up at the turn who didn't go on the road. So those are our survivors. Uh, it's, I guess the weirdest thing is it's really continuity heavy. Really? Uh, like from the first one, they're That's... all connected to the first one. But didn't like, wasn't the yeah. whole point of the first one that everybody died? Yeah, well, sort of. I mean, I think three people or two people are alive at the end of the first oh, okay. one because uh, our main guy, uh, Devin Sawa, is he survives and his girlfriend survives. Oh, OK, OK. But only the girlfriend is still around in this one. She comes back and she's like one of the main characters again, which is oh. bizarre. But uh, that is like, weird. she's like living in a mental hospital and they come and retrieve her and get her to help them figure out what's going on <laughs> because, you know, it's very famous. It happened a year on from the original event, like the one year anniversary. Oh, so and just, you know, everybody has some connection to the thing, uh, which is just weird. It, it feels like just too much. It, it makes it way too dependent on the other film and uh I don't know, but otherwise it's great. Uh, just ridiculous things happening. The way people get killed off is crazy. There's a completely innocent, like 14 year old teenage boy who gets just flattened <laughs> really grotesquely after like the, the weird thing about this is like death teases you death kind of uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's like a serial or a, a, a stalker, a slasher kind of thing where they stalk the victim for a while and they kind of tease them for quite a while. So you have all these fake outs and people almost <laughs> getting hurt. And like, so the, the thing with the kid, he's at the dentist's office and it's this whole elaborate thing where he's under gas. And the thing is that there's a, like a loose thing and there's a, there's all sorts of stuff. Like, the, the movie is like anxiety attack simulator. It's imagining every possible way that someone could be harmed in a situation. And just every single one is always trying to kill someone at every moment of the movie. It's weird. That sounds like fun, but also sounds like I don't need that. It's it's a weird thing. Uh, I mean, it's it's totally a ride. I think my biggest problem with it is that for whatever reason, once in a while, it tries to make the characters have pathos. And... I'm not interested. These, This is just a bunch of generic characters that are <laughs> set up like bowling pins to be rolled over by death. And <laughs> I don't need to hear someone say, I don't want to die before their fucking head gets cut off by an elevator. Like, that's it's just like, <laughs> this is, it's supposed to be fun. <laughs> so just, whatever. Uh, next is Freedom, which I, I told you a bit about last week. It's this girl runs away to join the circus. Right, yeah. Based on a true story. Hmm. Uh, it's someone, The I can't remember who it is now. The The person is actually, like, the, the girl who ran away to join the circus, her little sister is famous now. Like, oh, more okay. famous. Like, a really famous person. I'm trying to think oh. of who it was. Because it, it's like, 
uh, uh, based on a story written by their mother. Oh. So it's this weird thing where, like, she is this girl who just can't do school or follow any kind of rules. Just a thing that she's just not capable of doing for whatever reason. We don't really delve into it. We don't know what the background is. Uh, She's very oppositional to her mom. She's uh, not living with her dad. Her mom's pretty rich. They've got like a mansion. Right. And she just keeps getting kicked out of schools. Her dad's is pretty much totally absent. He comes in occasionally. He's like, well, I want her to have freedom. So they emancipate her at 14. Uh, This is a thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it literally happened. They did this. Well, yeah. I just don't know if that's the answer. It's not really a great answer. It doesn't go super great. So she's living on her own for a little while in a little house in uh, some small California town. And the carnival comes through town. She goes and hangs out with them. They all get along really great. And uh, she ends up just running away and joining them. (laughs) (laughs) This is her trying her freedom. And yeah, she learns some tough lessons. Like when she like she kind of gets it tied up with them initially because she's sheltering a runaway teenager who's also run away to join the circus she's sheltering her at her house and the police come in and take that girl away so she goes after the circus to tell them what happened and explain everything what what went down and she ends up hooking up with the guy who was dating the you know pregnant runaway teenager who Warning signs Uh already. He's the guy who works at a carnival who is dating a runaway teenager. And now he's kind of getting interested in this other teenager. Something Mm. she could have seen happening. Uh, But, you know, all the life at the carnival stuff is kind of interesting. Like, it's it's got, it's a whole vibe. You know, life on the road in a traveling carnival in the 80s. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's weird. (laughs) It's (laughs) an odd true story. Yeah. (laughs) Very after school, especially in a way. Ah, I see. Next is The Long Walk. A Lao film from Laos. Oh. Uh, Probably the first one I've seen from the country, I think. Okay. So it's a time travel movie. Okay. Uh, Very unusual time travel concept. So there's this guy, and we're sort of following him at two different ages at like the age of around, I don't know, nine or 10 and around the age of 60. Okay. And he's around nine or 10 in the present day. And then we're mostly following him from his future perspective. So it's, you don't see a lot of future stuff. There are elements of things that are clearly new. Like everybody has microchips in them. He's got like a readout on his arm, which he can like press a button on his wrist and he, he he'll have like, a digital clock and he can uh get funds transferred to his bank account by you know like tapping his arm that kind of thing cool anyway he's uh, sort of this local mystic he's just this weird guy who's on the edge of culture uh, edge of civilization he just kind of scavenges bits from the forest and sells them and uh, he's known as this guy who's just always with a ghost. He's just always walking up and down this dusty road with this ghost that only he can see. Okay. He's got like this, yeah, this like invisible, or like an imaginary friend sort of thing is what they think. No, it's a ghost. Oh, oh, like, okay. He's, he, he is communicating with a ghost. They know him to be a mystic. There, there's a part early on where a lady, an elderly lady with dementia disappears 
And the police come to him and like, we know that you can kind of speak with spirits. Can you lead us to where this lady's corpse is? So he's sort of a known mystic and he's traveling this road. Okay. And uh, we sort of delve into where he originally encountered the ghost when he was a child, where, you know, she was this lady who was hit by a car, pregnant lady, and she you know died in the forest. And he just happened to find her just as she was dying. He holds her hand while she's dying and she just sort of becomes his companion through life. All right. But interesting. In the future, he learns that he can physically transport back in time to the past and communicate with his childhood self with like through the ghost. Like he can go with the ghost to the past to uh, advise his child self. And the child is in a time of major crisis because it's right before his dad abandons the family and the mother dies horribly of some sort of respiratory illness. Oh. Uh, maybe COVID. I'm not sure. Oh, God. Because it's, <laughs> it's, well, I guess it couldn't be because it's 2019 that it came out. But it's weird because it, yeah, she drowns in her own blood in her lungs and she's coughing a lot. And it's weird. Cause, yeah, it's 2019. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, he, so he goes back and he keeps advising his child self and then he comes back to the present and, Advice isn't working out so good. He's Uh-oh. starting to realize that maybe he took some really bad turns in a past that he no longer remembers. Oh no! So it it gets really dark. Uh, it, it's fascinating. Really good movie. All right, that sounds that sounds so interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, next is Walking the Edge. Uh, this is a Robert Forster movie. He's pretty fucking cool. I'm not sure what you might know him from. A lot of 80s exploitation. Hmm. I don't know. Anyway, in this one, he is a washed up former baseball pitcher who's just driving a cab and doing collections for like a small time bookie. And he's, you know, he doesn't ever hurt anyone. He's not like a a collector going to break your legs kind of guy. Right. He just collects and then when people don't want to pay him, they just kind of don't pay him. So he's not doing great. Oh, (laughs) he doesn't have a lot of money. His boss is not happy with him. (laughs) All right. Give me your money. No. Yeah. Uh, That's basically what happens in the first scene. We see him. He's driving the cab and there's one of his customers and the customer's like, no, I don't want to pay it. I I don't feel I owe it to you because this, this, and this, and this. And he kind of tells him off and he's like, well, fine. Then you don't get the fuck out of my cab. I'm not going to give you a ride. (laughs) Uh, uh, but he ends up encountering this lady this lady nancy kwan gets into his cab uh and has has him drive her to a couple places where she kills people because she's on a revenge trip her husband and son were murdered by this uh gang of thugs And the husband, like, this is the opening sequences. These thugs breaking into her house, these three dudes, and they shotgun her son and husband. And the son was obviously innocent. The husband was like a drug dealer that she didn't know about. Okay. So she's out for revenge for her son. And she, you know, shoots some guy and then she has him drive her over to the garage where the three dudes are. And she plans to just suicide against them. But 
he gets involved in the middle of it. They drive away. And then he is just wrapped up in this case. And these guys are coming after him and they're coming after his friends. And, you know, everybody knows who he is in, you know, the criminal underworld because he's vaguely associated with it. He's going to have to start learning how to use violence. Uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) Let me guess. He ends up being super duper good at it by the end. He gets the hang of it. (laughs) Is it funny? It's really good. I I had Mm. a really good time with it. Uh, Really killer synth score, too. Nice, nice. And just great streets of LA locations, just a ton of real nightlife, uh, all shot on real locations. Cool. Next is The Seventh Grave. Uh, so, uh, gothic. <laughs> uh, we talked a bit about this one last time. I mentioned how it's not a well-liked film. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's kind of known to be pretty generic and it is, it's really generic. You got your standard stuff of some people go to this mansion. Oh, okay. Th- does somebody warn them not to? Well, it's, they're... It's it's for a will reading. Oh, a, that the, kind of. So this mad scientist who owned this castle dies of acute leprosy, which is kind of weird. Okay. Like not just leprosy; he gets leprosy, and it just like turbo leprosy. He dies like overnight <laughs> of leprosy, and they seal Jesus up the body in Christ. the seventh grave. <laughs> I'm just imagining turbo leprosy. I know. Sounds this rough. Like... <laughs> So, like, you got a bunch of people who have come to both, you know, uh, the legal people who are there as a team to read the will and deal with the estate, as well as various people who uh, stand to earn from the estate, uh, get things from it. Right. And, of course, you know, there's ghosts and there's a, a scary guy who's showing up and killing people and, you know, they're being picked off one by one and the grave turns out to be empty and... Uh, you know it's i mean it's 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 pretty generic uh it's yeah it's fine you know, it's got a decent atmosphere but it's just it's kind of just taken off boxes there is not really anything original within it okay good to know next is moonraker talk about unoriginal <laughs> not an original bone in it remake of I, I its was... previous movie <laughs> I, I was actually thinking of uh picking this one but isn't this also a remake of the one Bond movie that we've already covered? Uh... It is. Yeah, it's a remake of You Only Live Twice, as well as a remake of Spy Who Loved Me. And I love it. I love Moonraker. Uh, oh, it's, it's fun. It's so much it's fun. It's dumb. It's like, I would say it's the best bad Bond movie. Because like, I the, the Pierce Brosnan movies are worse. Unquestionably, I don't like them. This one is bad, but it's so bad in a fun way. <laughs> like i love drax hugo drax the villain he's he is elon musk he is just full-on an elon musk he has a spacex he's gonna uh... <laughs> i bet he changed his name to put an x at the end of it <laughs> maybe he did elon musk's uh concerning <laughs> concerning jaws is back of course but now because he was so popular they slowly gradually make him a hero over the course of the movie he doesn't actually bite anyone's throat in this one <laughs> his, his nerdy girlfriend is isn't genetically superior enough to join the master race so 
he has to he has to choose between the bad guys or her his hot swedish milkmaid babe uh yeah i mean it's, but she it's has a... glasses and a ponytail so she's ugly <laughs> yeah it's such a weird movie uh it's like it's so self-parody like it's fully full-on self-parody but then there are parts that are so jagged like when the first girl that he sleeps with you know there's always a lady who he gets it on with early in the movie who gets killed. That's sort of one well, of the weird tropes yeah. of the series. This one is the meanest one ever because she's not really involved in anything. He kind of drags her along to him stealing some stuff and then she gets eaten by dogs. Oh my God. Ripped apart by dogs. Which, yeah, it's just, it's <laughs> needlessly cruel. Wow. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I love all the space nonsense i uh i love all the stuff with jaws they do the gondola thing oh that's this one. Oh my so god cool. <laughs> it's the fucking cable <laughs> yeah oh just so much good stuff like it, it is it's bad but it's so good you know <laughs> oh yes oh i, I am familiar with the movie I love yeah this one. It, it's absolutely my go-to bad bond movie like if i want to crazy stupid one it's the one this one's still roger moore right yeah it's roger moore for a while yet <laughs> he he did them too long he did them for a long time and he's already looking old here he does it for like <laughs> another seven years oh god uh i think like three more something <laughs> like that oh. wow and last up is night screams this is a slasher Tonight, their screams will fall on dead ears. Uh, it is, um, uh, it's it's like a hot summertime slasher. And you Ooh. got th this, it's graduation day. Uh, and depending on which cut you watch, there's some clips from graduation day, the other slasher movie. No one has Brad Pitt in it. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> they... They really, really ran short. It's you know low budget picture. They I think came out with the movie that was maybe sixty five minutes long. So <laughs> in the pre release cut, the credits are just really, really heavily uh, padded with every kill from the movie replayed, <laughs> and then just every big sequence is like you you have a montage of the whole movie at the end of the movie during the credits. <laughs> but that still only brought it to like 80 minutes so <laughs> in the theatrical cut they also added just five minutes of graduation day and it's not even like they added it into the movie they added to them watching graduation day on tv <laughs> at the beginning of the movie which is wild <laughs> very strange choice uh, but yeah, it's it's a fairly standard slasher concept. I uh, got a bunch of people at a house party during the summer, and uh, someone is killing them off. And there's multiple killers, because there's a couple escaped crazies who are hiding out in the basement. But there's also someone who is attending the party who's a killer. But who is it? <gasps> we don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a mystery. You've got a couple people who it could be. Uh-oh because uh, like our, our main main ish character the guy whose house the party has taken place at is star football player who's just got a big scholarship football scholarship but he's not happy about it and he's been really cagey and weird about it and he's acting strange to everyone and 
we know from his parents that he is off his meds and that that might make him violent. So it's heavily suggested that he is going to be the guy, but so heavily suggested that you know it's got to be someone else. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some good kills, really. Uh, 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 some fun stuff. Uh, at least three kills involving backyard grilling. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's a couple hot tub kills. You know, very hot summer party slasher <laughs> kind of movie. Well, that sounds kind of fun. Yeah, some good gore. You know, it's it's a solid entry. It's just it doesn't really do anything new with it, but you know, it's fun. Okay, right on. So those are our nine picks. What do you figure out for our main feature next week? Well, uh, there's some really good ones in here, and I when we just opened it up, or when I just opened up the page, I thought it was going to be Ocean's Eleven for sure, mm-hmm. um, or Moonraker, right? But yeah, not Moonraker. <laughs> It'll come Although, up again. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched it at least twice since we started this. Maybe three times. I love that movie. <laughs> um, you know, I'm always, as you know, a sucker for watching a film from a country that I've never watched a film from before. Really? So uh why don't we check out The Long Walk? All right, The Long Walk by Matty Doe from 2019 really good movie very uh eerie compelling uh took me by surprise quite honestly think you'll dig I, it i do love a good time travel story and this one has some interesting twists like it, it goes places you wouldn't expect Ooh, excellent so we have a handful of additions just four additions to the main stacks Okay. Uh, first one next in the uh, Ormond's box. We're into the Christian era. <laughs> if footmen tire you, what will horses do? A very awkward title. <laughs> it's okay. The frightening what? prophecy of a doomed America. It's based oh, no. on apocalyptic sermons by this guy, Estes Perkle, this weird far-right preacher that they knew who was... <laughs> Worried that communism was going to take over America. So this is a movie about the communist takeover of America. It starts small with them taking over the entertainment and slowly getting people used to communist ideas. And then, so yeah, it's establish cultural hegemony. And then they just start rounding up Christians and either putting them into re-education camps or murdering them en masse and like Dairy Queen parking lots and shit. <laughs> this Blood is a future liberals like want. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, completely absurd. I, I hear it is like the reefer madness of political films. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, reefer madness is a, a trip <laughs> interestingly <laughs> yeah uh next is death trip to osaka also known as girls of the white orchid oh. uh this is the third one in that uh tv box uh the primetime terrors okay it stars jennifer jason lee very young jennifer jason lee uh-huh. uh as this aspiring singer and waitress who uh, decides to go on this job offer to Osaka. I'm like, oh, I'm going to move to Japan and become a waitress there. Maybe uh, try a new environment. But it turns out she's actually being hired into sex work by the Yakuza. Yeah, you don't usually get uh, overseas <laughs> job offers as a waitress. Right. Uh, so there, there is like a helpful 
you know, noble uh, Yakuza who decides to help her. But, you know, she's got to you know, deal with her new situation. Okay, cool. Next is Gangster VIP 2 back on the top after some time in the wilderness. Yeah, that was that was a while ago. Yeah, uh, we just haven't really touched this stack all that much. But Outlaw Gangster VIP 2, uh, our guy uh, Goro back again. Uh, I think there's he's he reunites with his girlfriend and she's taking care of this other girl who's terminally ill and he kind of has to help with that he he needs it's it's sort of like gotta do one big score kind of thing it's like ah shit i gotta find one big score to come up with the money to help with this lady who's dying okay and last edition is scream of the demon lover it's an awesome title (laughs) (laughs) it really is Uh, this is, kind of sounds a lot like uh, Death Trip to Osaka. There's this lady, she gets a job with a biochemist, and she goes, but he lives in this really creepy castle. Except instead of her being forced into sex work, she's really into the doctor. She's like hot for him. But then it turns out that something's weird, something weird's going on with him, and he might actually be kind of a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. Oh. Or maybe there he's got some zombies under his control or something like that. Nice, nice. Uh, but yeah, uh, so that that's the next one in the uh, uh, gothic horror box from Severin. So that's cool. all that's added this week. What do you figure for our main feature? Hmm. Good question. Good question. Um, since you brought up Yakuza, and this series came up when we when I was watching that one special feature on the Scorpion disc a few weeks back. Uh, I think it's time we check out the next uh, Yakuza papers, Deadly Fight in Hiroshima. Deadly Fight in Hiroshima. Uh, So this one, I think we're kind of following a new guy for the most part. Uh, This guy Shoji Yamanaka, uh, who's a new character who has just been constantly harassed by all sides of uh you know the gangsters the yakuza the the cops and he ends up becoming a hitman and Ooh. you know he's marrying into uh, a yakuza family but there's i i guess there's some guy who's just kind of on the run uh Kets, a guy called katsutoshi otomo who is just uh on a rampage so our guy Shozo has obviously got to unroll those shipping charts and figure out what he's got to do. <laughs> All right. <sighs> he still has some bullets left. Damn right he does. <laughs> so, yeah, next week, uh, Battles Without Honor and Humanity, Deadly Fight in Hiroshima, as well as The Long Walk. Uh, should be good. Gotta, Hell yeah. Got a... a 60s film and a modern film something really new we don't cover a lot of new stuff no we don't um we yeah we tend to go 80s and older generally typically like the old exploitation stuff but i do like some modern indie crap or interesting foreign stuff like this or heck even every now and again some like mainstream hollywood thing that everybody saw well pretty rarely (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well yeah especially if it's if recent everybody saw it everybody's talked about it because i feel like the most recent 
blockbuster type thing that we've covered would be Fast Five. I don't think we've covered anything newer than that. That's like big. Yeah, that, in the mainstream. I think you're right. Yeah. Depends. I don't know how big Ambulance was. Oh, I guess Ambulance was probably pretty huge. That's probably true. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Deadly Fight in Hiroshima and The Long Walk. So, do you have any last thoughts before we close for this week? Um, I don't have a wife! I don't have a wife! It, it reads weird when it's a, yeah, a it doesn't, first no, it person. Didn't work. Did yeah. not work. Yeah. You never had a wife. You never had a wife! Yeah, that, that was better. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, thanks everyone so much for listening. See you next week.